Just a couple of climate criminals. Hi, everyone. I'm Nat, as usual, and with me, as usual, is the Honorable Sir Hemingford Gray. How are you doing, bud? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm feeling a bit like Alex from the Clockwork Orange. I've been held hostage by uh, both sides of the Punch and Judy show. I hope you Americans get that (laughs) that reference. (laughs) I, I, I did. I don't know if everybody would. That's a little bit out there. Today, we're going to be talking about quite a lot of material, all of it about global warming. Um, This has actually been an idea uh, for an episode like before we even recorded the first episode uh, on New Wars. Um, It was uh, recently when we heard uh, the Captain Planet episode of um, Pause Button, which is another uh, pop culture podcast. I'm sure a lot of our audience has heard of it, um, if not everyone listening. But uh, that's when I started to get really excited about, hey, let's, uh, you know, it's, it's it'll probably be a couple months ago when you hear this. So, you know, why, why don't we um, actually do that episode? I want to talk about this stuff. And talk about it, we will. We're going to cover today An Inconvenient Truth, its recent uh, inconvenient sequel. And then we are uh, also going to talk about kind of the other side of things with climate hustle. Uh, but first, we're going we're gonna to shake up the, the formula a little bit. And we're going to talk about some uh, pop culture current events. Um, so the, when you uh, actually hear this, these events may no longer be current. In fact, they, they surely will not be current. However, uh, you can think of this like the same way when we talk about a, a 15-year-old movie or something. You know, a happening is always a happening as long as it happens. So you're just, what you're doing is you're listening to, uh, you're listening to analysis on, on events as opposed to uh, uh, actual media items. So the, um, one of the girls from Game of Thrones, she plays... Um, oh, Arya and Sansa. Sansa, there we go. So the girl who yeah, plays Sansa. Yeah, she's also she... Jean Grey in the X Men films. I don't know. The oh yeah, Jean that's Grey. right. Oh, she was terrible. She was terrible <laughs> at that. By the way, she doesn't um, have a lot of screen presence, does she? No, she doesn't at all. Um, and and uh, so so she was on Doctor Phil, and she was telling uh everyone about her friendship with the girl who plays Arya. Uh, I think her name is Maisie something. But uh, they would for years. For years, they would, after recording, go to a hotel room, get super high, like get get sit sit in a bath together and rub each other's faces with makeup brushes. And they would. Well, I'm they, sure. This I'm sure. Their... I'm sure it's a very hard time pretending to be someone else all day, isn't it? <laughs> it's not exactly I'm... working down the salt mine, is it? I, I I guess if you don't have a personality of your own, you are good at replacing that with a fictitious personality. Um, that that is certainly an asset. However, um, I, 
it's like if you if you need proof that you know smoking weed is kind of a, a that is a door to like depressive behavior and aloof behavior um this is uh, pretty much uh, proof positive of that like i i they, there's a saying that weed makes it fun to be bored and <laughs> how else could these these girls like hang out in hotel rooms for years um just getting high and only talking to each other that's the thing they did not socialize with other people on the set and after filming they would just hang out with each other and who knows <laughs> who knows what, what stuff they were getting up to man like seriously uh, i don't want to be hermeneutic here but um you know girls have a very uh, uh they I, I i i think that all girls have this sort of sapphic latent sapphic quality to them that can come out under under the right conditions and i think that being high and and isolated is those those are those are conditions those are some chem chemistry conditions right there man um well you've had, you there you are you've had, you've had a hard day playing let's pretend you're you're a bit you're a bit of an autist i mean what else do you do you go back and go back and have a bit of fun with with your other autist mate whilst doing drugs i guess so um they uh there's this photo posted on Twitter. I think it's the Sansa actress who uh, they're, they're sort of dressed up like, I don't know, they're dressed up like little girls, like Girl Scouts. Uh, and Girl Scouts with weed. Yeah, and they them. have like weed merit badges. And it's like, wow, this is like really degenerate. <laughs> Just so degenerate. I don't know, it's so Sophie Turner's not wearing a bra either. Oh, is she poking? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit cold in that hotel pokey room. action? It's it's a bit cold in that hotel room, mate. Oh yeah, I see that there. Now I gotta say, um, thinking about this whole this whole incident, it made me realize that like uh, you might you might get upset with me for saying this, but I realized that um, like like British casting like for women um, is sort of the same as Asian the like casting Asian women in Hollywood. Specifically, Why is it like, in kind of like a fetish thing? Is it? Well, I, I so. If you like look at like the kind of like Asian girls that like like guys lust over on the internet, they look very, very, very different from the Asian women who are cast in like Hollywood movies. Would you say that that's fair? Uh, yeah, like, well, I suppose, I suppose if you're looking at anime, I mean, they don't look like anybody you've ever met in your life, do they? <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> I mean, like IRL. 3d uh pd uh asian girls okay like they're normally like cute looking very round faced very pale um and then you 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 look at these hollywood actresses and they're just weird looking like lucy Liu is, is weird looking um that that chick who is in sideways and gray's anatomy i can't think of her name but uh, oh, some of you, you probably yeah we'll you one. probably know who i'm talking about she's a really yeah, weird yeah. looking lady she looks like she has down syndrome but it's the kind of um, it's kind of the same with white women though i mean you throw them into the hollywood meat grinder and they come out 10 years later and they all look exactly the same you barely differentiate between any of them can you <laughs> well that has more to do with uh i i, I think the, the plastic surgery and whatnot um but I don't know. Like I don't think that's what that's that... what I mean. They they go into the Hollywood meat grinder. They all have the same 
plastic surgery, don't they? And they and then they all come out come out looking the same, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And and that's how it is like for Koreans. Like Koreans all look the same. If you look at these Korean pop bands, all the girls look the same, even though there's eight of them, not because they're Asian, but because they've they've gotten the, the same exact surgery playing to the same exact standards. Now I'm I, I have nothing wrong like there's nothing wrong with <laughs> not looking unique, but the fact that they're doing it through an artificial process that's what's weird but i posted a um, a, a picture um of sandra oh that's the asian lady i was right okay yeah She's, i can see her yeah her and lucy Liu are like the two asian ladies in hollywood there's like literally only two of them and these are they also you had that filipino um who was in star wars i think she was filipino something like that oh rose um, that one rose yeah um yeah. There are all these just weird-looking Asian girls, and I find that there's a lot of weird-looking English ladies uh, uh, cast in Hollywood as well. So, like Hermione, is like what's her name? E Emma Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Yeah, like I yeah, she kind of looks like a little pixie, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, but she has this sort of like little boy look going on. Like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. Definitely. How did how did she become like a sex symbol? It's very very bizarre to me. There's so many beautiful English women like. Well, if you, if you how, ever watched uh, if you ever watched something like America's Top Model, you know the ones where they're picking model, and those women are freakish looking. They have those huge gaps in their teeth, don't they? They generally have some weird looking cheekbones, don't they? And like the worst hair you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, I, I've I've never watched that show, but I am familiar with the sort of like uh, you have this one glaring flaw in a model, and that's what makes her memorable. Yeah, so that's what makes her famous. I don't know. I I don't think any and they of the kind of look hideous. models. I mean, long well, long yeah. gone are the are the days when you'd lust after a model like where well, you probably wouldn't remember, but like the supermodels of the nineties where they were actually really good looking women. Yeah, uh, same thing for actresses, right? Uh, I there are still some very attractive actresses, but when I see like guys online like lusting after actresses, as guys do, as they've always done since you know that's been a thing. Um, the, the the girls they're going for, it's almost like every single actress is like fetishistic, you know. Well, like, you like, remember, um, you remember, do you, do you remember the early days of um, oh, what's Lindsay Lohan? I mean, she was a good looking girl, she had a real womanly oh, yeah. figure, didn't she? And then oh, yeah. she was fed into the Hollywood meat grinder and she went down to like stick thin and, and then the drugs started and all the other problems, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And she's not attractive anymore, not many people think so either but like when like people lust after jennifer lawrence i don't understand that she sort of has a fat face and it's she's like, kind of she, average she, isn't she she's she's kind of average right absolutely absolutely i mean she is it some, some sort of like reverse power dynamic where because because someone's in hollywood therefore they get fancied by somebody well there's i mean we, we <laughs> definitely know that harvey weinstein was smashing that and that's why jennifer lawrence has a, a fair amount of her fame they were traveling together alone for like a year so he was definitely just banging her and that sort of locked her in as a uh, as a movie star um christina ricci um i think is a, is a, is like an she's also kind of average looking but she's pretty you know uh well, the, the christina ricci thing is like child actress she uh, child stars have you ever noticed they always grow up to be ugly it's like what whatever makes them kind of 
I'm trying to think of the right word. Well, um, aesthetically pleasing is probably the, the, the best way of putting it. Is like, it is what tends to make them look hideous when they get older, isn't it? Yeah, sort of like the uh, sixth, sense, uh, sixth, sixth Sense Kid. That's easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or um, was it Jake Lloyd? He turned out to be weird looking, didn't he? Do you remember um, Anakin Skywalker? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're distinctions. I don't know if it's like that for Christina Ricci. Uh, yeah, she was like a, a cute like teenage girl um, whose forehead only got bigger as she got older. But I, I still think she's attractive. I, I I last saw her in a Moby video. <laughs> I think she kind of. Um, I think I think you get the odd, the odd one like her that buck the trend, but t- generally they grow up to be quite ugly, don't they? The child stars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The child stars don't work out too well. Um, so uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about uh, was uh, Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything. <laughs> he went on to Joe Rogan, and it. I I I think that. Joe Rogan is kind of very low key, like our guy. Um, I'm not and... familiar with this guy at all. Uh, so, oh, you're not familiar with Adam Ruins Everything? No, no, not at all. Is oh, he a YouTube okay. or a t- YouTube star? No, he he does. Uh, I don't. I forget where his stuff airs because I've only watched it online. Maybe it's Comedy Central, but they they do like these 15 minute episodes. I want to say where they'll focus on a topic. Um, and, and basically, it's just a liberal mouthpiece for spreading propaganda about that topic. So one time they focused on, I mean, some really ruthless stuff. Like, um, was well, like he like why, a slightly are... less, less edgy Tosh then, is he? Um, not necessarily. He, he claims to use facts and logic to debunk stuff. And so he's like debunking like why why do people think the suburbs are good the suburbs are full of white people therefore they suck i mean he literally says like like suburbs are (laughs) 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 he refers to suburbs as unbearably white in one of his episodes um Uh. he debunks the alpha male in one of his episodes but uh, basically all of the the quote facts that he's uh espousing are, are really just like he's hoping that you don't do your own research and by research i mean look it up on wikipedia for 15 minutes or even thinking about it <laughs> right or just ponder it to yourself for a moment yeah um so he goes on joe rogan and joe rogan starts to uh kind of hammer him with questions about various topics and you see that without his army of interns to kind of like spin something with a bunch of factoids, a bunch of apocryphal bullcrap. Like he just sort of falls apart. He's stuttering the whole time. Well, to have and... to have something like fifteen minutes, yeah, I mean that'd that, that'd have to be really really honed, wouldn't it? So it's like you say, it's the, there probably is a very big team, isn't there, to hone something like that so you can just zap it out in fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's Hollywood. Like whereas yeah. our guys, when they do some kind of short or even like two hours of content they're doing it all by themselves they probably have been researching all day before they they go up to do their show are we talking about other podcasts not this one Because we pride well, yeah, ourselves not on not one. doing any research. <laughs> Good God, not this one. <laughs> These are just stories I casually found. But uh, you know, out uh, in 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 here in this case, Adam, uh, he's he's probably had people working for a month to produce fifteen minutes of content, right? And it's still a whole bunch of hooey. 
who yeah um well, you, so you they're see, talking you see you mm-hmm. see other times in, in sometimes we like just general comedians where you, where you'll get a really funny comedian who's really good at stand up and they'll be on like a chat show or something and they're not that funny at all are they because they can't come up with it off the top of their head can they? yeah a really good comedian can be funny at any time uh they're just sort of ambiently funny and that's yeah. uh where you know they kind of get the criticism that they can never shut it off they can never turn it off shut it mm. down um but in this case like it adam is just sort of really pathetic all his smugness just sort of melts away they're talking about uh trans athletes um <laughs> and adam is is literally advocating for uh, uh child transsexuals and joe rogan is like almost getting angry he's almost getting visibly angry and he's like cutting off he's cutting adam off <laughs> oh, really? cutting off that's quite that's quite unusual to get joe rogan angry because he's pretty He's pretty chilled out, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean, he's a little bit like, I don't know, like like boomer tier conservative where he's like saying, you know, what? Why, why do you need to give hormones to little kids? Just let them grow up and become gay men. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, oh, what a bigger. He'll uh... <laughs> be, it'll be losing his show soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah right um yeah because I, I read i read a piece about it is that there's a female uh there's a female a male to female that fights in the female um mma and and he got to a final and uh, the woman who fought him said that you know it was like getting hit by a car or something i mean did this this poor girl had never had a fight like it and all of a sudden she's faced with this you know man pretending to be a woman that's that's broken her eye socket <laughs> And really messed her up quite badly. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they they talk about how men are are now breaking records in women's sports because they're pretending to be a girl. So, uh, you know, there's there's uh, Adam says there's no such thing as fairness. Like we uh, we sort of select the parameters of fairness. He's sort of just dancing around the whole the whole is it issue. Kind of des- is it destiny tier argument then? Is it just like tactical nihilism? I, I would say that it's more like just your bog standard liberalism. And and by that, I mean, whenever he runs into a roadblock, he just sort of changes the parameters of the argument. Yeah, it's a, it's a social you know? construct. Right. Like like uh, c- competition is a social construct, yeah. <laughs> which, it literally, is, which construct. it literally is, which it literally is. Well, like you say, they're not actually wrong. It is a social construct, but it's been constructed for a reason, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then you you know, if you if you say that, oh wait, it's not fair for them to do do, do this, they respond with, "Well, what is fair? What is fair, <laughs> What's fairness anyway?" <laughs> right. That's the uh the fairness is just there. another like, form of patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, I mean under under this ideology like literally nothing matters. Um maybe, you know, maybe things will shake out okay with this. I've I've thought for a while now that colleges will begin to have like uh, an alternative league for for transsexuals and like pretty much only transsexuals so you have people who are not trans um well even even that's even that's going to turn into a shit show isn't it because all it will be is like like the male to females will just bully out the male female to males won't they well maybe i mean you're realistically gonna have to have i don't know like yeah you're realistically gonna have to have four leagues aren't you it's like male female and male to female and female to male (laughs) when instead you could have just had two where it's like born male born female i mean maybe they'll do like physical qualifications for each league so it'll be more like weight classes in boxing that's a possibility right 
I mean, I mean, I suppose the only thing really is that like everything gets thrown up in the air, and like you say, it's like some sort of weight class slash ability um, con- uh, rule to, rules to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all sort of a joke, but you know, yeah. all these all these people sort of just being like, imagine imagine if like Michael Jordan and all these other like famous <laughs> basketball players like who are the tallest guys the biggest guys for you they um they're all in their own league right and then another league of like smaller basketball players and that sort of thing and then it doesn't matter like you know what sex they were born as they or or what they identify as you know i i could see this uh becoming sort of the new standard that is of course if we continue to tolerate this like weird just you know well the, mental... the, other, the other thing is like if you have like if if you've got if you've got if you've got um men transitioning to female and they're in the male league it's not going to affect them so much but if you have female transitioning to men then they're having that extra testosterone aren't they so they're gonna have an unfair advantage over their fellow females aren't they? i mean maybe it's uh <laughs> i don't think anyone really knows like they actually start off this discussion in, in the clip i watched by debating whether or not uh i think his name is oscar pistorius the south african guy who was uh yeah in the olympics he was the blade runner oh, they it, called it, him they came up with some sort of false equivalence with him getting in the able-bodied um olympic right well he was able to to run in the able-bodied olympics um i don't think he won um which i guess was predictable but joe rogan and adam are having an argument about uh whether or not he actually had an unfair advantage because of his blades well there, well, there was the, the other example that's quite a good example is do you remember that i can't remember the female golfer's name but she actually played with the male pros but she was doing so badly she had to go back to the female league the female pga oh really so this this is a transsexual who went to the male league and then no back no this is this was league? a woman this was a woman okay. that on ability managed to get herself because she was I think she was so far ahead of all the other females that she then went to play with the men oh okay so she's and not she, a transsexual not a transsexual <laughs> just went to very play strong with men. woman <laughs> yeah yeah but she was like she did so badly there that she had to go back to like the female league because she was kind of, I think she ended up being like neither one nor the other kind of ability wise she was like too good for the women but not good enough for the men wow what a what what a uh, horrible limbo to be in i guess she'll have to settle for being a sports star in a women's yeah. league yeah being the best ever woman so it just shows it just shows you that the best woman is still not as good as a man when it comes to whatever sport that is anyway um why don't we talk now about global warming yes let's okay so I think that it behooves us to um, maybe relate to the audience what each of our feelings are about about global warming. Um, now, I, I, we sort of um, established before the show that perhaps we feel differently about the issue, which is fantastic. Um, uh, however, um, after watching um, the material that you recommended, um, I sort of I, I, I kind of think that we don't actually disagree that much, and we'll we'll probably find that as we talk about this. But why don't you tell the audience what are uh, what's your take on climate change? Um, I'm not I'm not like super one way or the other with it, but I'm kind of I just hedge more towards that. I don't think uh, what they call it anthropomorphic. Um, 
anthropo is it anthropomorphic or anthropogenic? no no it's anthropogenic anthropogenic global warming i don't think i don't think there's enough evidence that we make that much of a dent in it or i don't i don't believe that we make that much of a dent in it okay yeah i'm kind of um i'm i'm not particularly sure about that in fact i don't think anyone is so my take on it is that i agree with the mainstream scientific consensus and before anyone groans <laughs> um what i really want to do right now is talk about uh the scientific consensus versus general consensus so the scientific consensus on global warming boils down to three points okay one is that it's happening right the earth is getting a little yeah, warmer I don't, no, nobody can doubt that climate's changed but okay, carry on right and uh, uh two the reason it's getting warmer is because of greenhouse gases, you know, preventing heat from the sun from radiating back out into space. Well, there is an addendum to that point, though, isn't there? Is CO2 a greenhouse gas? Okay, well, that's that's point number three. The, the third point of scientific consensus is that uh, some of those gases are the result of stuff that human beings are doing. So that is it when when you hear the media or a politician talk about scientific consensus that is what they're talking about and yet they are trying to imply that the scientific consensus is the same as what i call the general consensus um and, and by the way you can verify these three points, like it's it's widely available information. Um, you you really can just Google it. It's quite difficult to find the actual information because there's been plenty of um, whistleblowers that have that have told people that that this the the actual real raw stats have been fudged, haven't they? they oh well, I, I'm just talking about Wikipedia and, oh, right, and okay. various uh, various mainstream media uh, articles. Like if you look at at, at various mainstream sources. You may find slight variations on these three points, maybe with different fourth or fifth points added. Um, but what I can guarantee is that you'll always find these three points. And that's what amounts to consensus, right? And that's coming from the scientific community, uh, which uh, I thought was large, but now I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I thought that that consensus was taken from a large group. I'm not so sure now, but we'll talk about that much later in the episode. I, I don't know if this is. I didn't hear it mentioned anywhere, but I was just going to say that that uh, that money does skew the consensus, doesn't it? Because if if you're if you're pro global warming, you're going to find funding funding. If you're anti global anti -anthrop anthropogenic global global warming, then you're going to struggle to find um, funding or even publishing if you do find anything. Yeah, and and that's the that's the issue uh, within science for so many things. I mean, <laughs> even even scientists. Uh, are you know they they hate the whole publish or perish thing they hate the the archaic system of uh uh begging for grants to do contrived research well if you if you look into a if you look into a, a newspaper daily you will find contradict contradicting articles every other day about gla about glasses of wine and how many should how many should you drink should you drink them the benefits the non-benefits huh. don't <laughs> I never thought so about I, that. I, yeah, yeah, I, that, that's that's part that's part of what what draws my thing. That you, if you can't get a ruling, uh, if you can't get a, a consensus on a glass of wine, how can you get a consensus consensus on something as difficult to get a grip on as like the global climate? 
Sure, something that's much more chemically uh, complex. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see people using politics as a lever uh, in order to get around the whole, you know, scientific doldrums. Um, so what the consensus, uh, the scientific consensus does not cover is how will the Earth be affected in the mid to long term? Um, how, to which degree of severity those uh, effects will manifest or over which time scale? That there's a ton of debate and a ton of theory around that. There is nothing resembling consensus on any of that. However, the general consensus, which is what I'm calling the consensus of uh, the people who own your culture, so non-scientific parties like the oh, media, if you want to clarify, just to say mainstream opinion, I think mainstream opinion probably clears up the consent. Whether you use, I, I think that I think that's a more sensible um, term for it. There you go. I mean, assuming that uh, we could actually get real opinion polls on this, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, but this is the the public uh, narrative. Um, one. So there's 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 four points here that I I was able to boil it down to. There might be more though. Um, uh, one. Global warming will bring about a calamity, an apocalypse, Armageddon, uh, or or just some kind of really 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 bad. Uh, world-changing event and that calamity is coming soon likely within your lifetime so people who are opportunists love to make this these changes seem really close to you um and the calamity will affect the entire world equally in some fashion if not quantitatively then qualitatively uh we're all going to be affected by this um and and finally, by reducing the amount of fossil fuel consumed in Western nations, the calamity may be avoided. That's always the lever. Remove sources of energy from Western nations. I, th I, I don't think they're really talking about a calamity, though, are they? Because it's just generally more and more refugees and less and less food available, isn't it? I, 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 I was led to believe it was going to be a more of a, 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 a maybe a rapid a more rapid decline than we're expecting. That's that's the message I got from watching the uh, program. Well, why don't we uh, start to uh, find out about how inconvenient it will be with our first film, An Inconvenient Truth. So this is the movie that started the discussion about climate change, although the discussion has existed for almost 200 years now. Well, I think it I think it ramped up during the late 80s, early 90s, because I remember there was a lot of it. We were getting it pumped into us all. I only... I'm familiar with the ozone, uh, the hole in the ozone layer being talked about a lot in the 80s and 90s. Um, that was it, yeah, because the UV rays were going to kill us in the 90s, weren't they? Right. Um, now, we we did fix the ozone layer, more or less. Or at least we stopped talking about it anyway. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, they even mentioned that in An Inconvenient Truth. Through regulations, um, it was apparently pretty easy to fix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's different. Um, and, and also... Uh, I believe oh, I can't remember where I where I saw this, but there was um, there was an issue with lead in our gasoline. And so lead was entering our air at an alarming rate. And, you know, through persistence from the scientific community, well, we were just, able to let's let's just a straight up pollution issue, though, isn't it? That's a straight up uh, making well, it's, people it's sick issue, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's poisonous. Um, so we were able to take lead out of our gasoline and paint and all this stuff. Um, so we've been able to fix some some very clear and present uh, uh, environmental pollution related issues. Global warming is kind of different, though, because 
you know, the, the earth hasn't always been this temperature. We've been involved in a, a mini ice age. And everyone acknowledges this. Everyone acknowledges this. Well, even during the dinosaurs, there was, um, I remember I used to watch a program called Walking with Dinosaurs. And there was, there was massive droughts and heat waves then that nearly wiped out all the dinosaurs. And then obviously there was an ice, there was a full on ice age as well, wasn't there? Which was for a very long time. So they, 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 these are, these are the kind of the reasons that add up to my knowledge, my, my knowledge and my opinion that it's not an anthropogenic isn't that much of, I'm not saying it's not at all, but it's not that much of a factor. Right. Um, and they, they say some uh, interesting stuff about this in one of the other films we are going to cover. In An Inconvenient Truth, though, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically a 90-minute TED Talk with some pricey infographics and a ton of B-roll footage. Um, and and, a, and by... a cherry picker covered in black tape. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it's hosted by uh, former Vice President Al Gore. He was he was Vice President to Bill Clinton, and then he ran for president against uh, George W. Bush, and he oh, lost, bit, but by a, a bit of a thin margin. Do you know about his wife, Tipper Gore? I know uh, she her. was she yeah she was she 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 was a member of the PMRC, the Parent Music Resource Center, and she and she was the she was the woman that 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 most most rap stars and metal stars love because she she got the uh, parental advisory stickers put on CD, which made them far far more appealing to kids. Oh really? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. I I wasn't aware of that. Um, yeah, all all these uh. You know, you, you you have men doing the politics, and these women come in to to, to nanny state people. They always, always uh, <laughs> women involved in politics are nanny stating everything. And this time, it had a very, I guess, a positive. I wasn't even aware that it had a positive effect on record sales. That's very apparently, interesting. Apparently, it did. I think I read something somewhere that said that, like, if you had a parental advisory on 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 your CD or or, or record or whatever, you know, you'd be, you'd be more likely to sell it. Brother, that's a red pill right there. <laughs> so uh, uh this movie is actually a great primer on the global warming topic so if you've only seen the political hype and you want to understand what people are really arguing about but you know you're already listening to this podcast so you basically got it already never mind just continue listening um but for me this was the first formal introduction to global warming um but <laughs> uh, this is kind of as much an autobiography as it is a documentary about global warming. Oh, it is just a bit, isn't it? <laughs> Tugging at like the old Al heartstrings. <laughs> yeah. Al, Al I'm Gore just, covers I'm just a poor old life. farmer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and somehow he ties like all these parts of his life, each step of the way, back to global warming. So, you know, by telling us about his young son who nearly died in an accident, which is in fact very emotionally gripping to me as a parent uh he, he he's trying to make us believe that hurricanes will destroy civilization you know um he he talks about how he grew up on a uh, <laughs> sorry he, he talks about how he grew up on a tobacco farm but he uh he leaves he, it quite he, a long while before he tells you it's a tobacco farm though doesn't he because he's just an old farm looking at look there's there's the cows we used to have when pop Pa used to take me down. I used to work on the farm for Pa, didn't he? Well, well he really, he really like sort of sends up the way that like he's just a he's just an old Southern boy, you know. Like I, we grew tobacco. <laughs> he says tobacco. It's like and, oh. and his dad and his daddy was always down on the farm and a senator. Right, absolutely. His dad's a friggin' senator, which is not the same as a 
as a representative. I think he was a senator, right? Anyway, yeah, he said um, senator. Yeah. No, okay. Go, yeah, senator that's not the same as a representative. So he's not interacting with like people exclusively in his community. A senator is a statewide thing. So uh, it leads me to believe that other people were running his tobacco farm or however Al Gore No, no, said no, no. It. It, was, it was just Alan Al Jr. running the tobacco farm all by themselves. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, he's trying to relate to how we didn't know the tobacco was bad for us. Um, and, and we were able to, to, to spread the word about that and change our behaviors as people. Um, and, and therefore we can do it again. We can do it again with, uh, with, with climate change. So and, and, these are a whole bunch also, of incidents where, sorry, now I'm talking. About, um, he, he also said, and as, soon, and as soon as Pappy found out about it, he stopped that dirty rotten tobacco farming. Didn't exactly. He's urging, I mean, it's obviously this was not the sole source of income for father father gore um i mean he's a senator he has these connections he doesn't really need his tobacco farm um <laughs> but <laughs> it's trying to spur you into action in in a similar way like look we we gave up our farm we gave up our tobacco so therefore you should you know get a prius or something i've, I've made i've made sacrifices <laughs> you should as well yeah it's an emotional appeal um it feels very disingenuous and it's it's pretty corny as well um it it, it comes off as very egotistical it's very eye-rolling um this kind of behavior is what i think inspired the um did, did you ever see the man bear pig episode of south park i have once i don't really remember it. i just remember what the man bear pig looked like so so al gore is obsessed with finding man bear pig and he can like he's wearing a cape he <laughs> considers himself a superhero like he's really and in this movie he's really pushing himself as like the savior of humanity and that his whole life has been leading up to fixing global warming for everyone it's it's very cringy um and that is ultimately the most powerful legacy of the film it happens in the first three minutes and and al gore i mean i really do mean this al gore changes the course of history um he damns oh, before, all before we go too much further there was a quote near the start that i thought that kind of stuck out in my mind he said what gets is it's a it's a mark twain quote he says what gets us into trouble it's not what we don't know it's just what we know for sure that ain't so so he, so is al gore saying that he doesn't have the evidence to back up what he's saying it's just it's just an odd uh, odd quote isn't it well, the subtext there is that climate deniers are the problem because they're mm. so sure that global warming uh, isn't real. So, you know, the sentiment of the quote is open your mind up to possibilities. And well, that well, that kind of get, gets you, gets the alarm going as well. That, that anybody that dissents is called a denier, aren't they? It's it's like they're they're you know they're might as well just call them apostates, aren't you? Climate apostates. Well, I, 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 I think that phrase sort of came about because like people were talking about, do you believe in global warming? Um, and it's all, it's and, all very religious. <laughs> right. Well, I think the distinction is that by calling someone a denier, you're, you're, you're insinuating like, no, this is a fact and you either choose to accept it or deny it. Yeah. So there is no debate. It's sort of that, that term kind of precludes any, you know, um, any concession for debate. Right. And I think he says quite a bit, you know, it's over. There's no more, you know, we've got all the facts. We don't need any more. That's it. 
it's over. No, there's yeah, no need and in to the talk years after it. this, you have like the settled science quote. I forget yeah. where that actually comes from, but settled science uh, is an incredible. I mean that that's the oxymoron of of the ages, right there. Um, well, flat flat Earth was settled science until Galileo came along, wasn't it? Actually, I don't think that's true. I gotta I gotta put my shield up for uh for the for the Catholics and uh, actually yeah. uh, the the Earth being being globe. Uh, you know, the Catholics were globe cucks for a long time before Galileo. Uh, Galileo was mostly um, punished for being an asshole to the Pope. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna gonna drop some pills on that one. Drop um, some knowledge. So, but that's not even the worst thing that happened. The uh, uh, the the lack of debate. Um, the um, the climate debate is is one that's politically charged, and it's one that's distinctly partisan. And Al Gore is responsible for that. So, regardless of who he's presented this TED talk to, it's not really a TED talk, but it's that format. Uh, regardless of who he's presented this to around the world, uh, in this movie, which is like the canonical version of the talk, he is speaking to his partisan audience of liberal Democrats. It's like a, a room full of people wearing turtlenecks and they're all like white or Jewish yuppies and they are uh, they're, they're hanging on his every word already. I'm not saying that he should like be inviting hecklers in, but this is not really a um, it, he sort of he sort of instigates this this partisanship. He's um, preaching he, to the converted to if you want to carry on with <laughs> with the uh, with there the religious go. theme. In it. There you go. I, I mean, he introduces himself by saying, by cracking wise, saying, "I used to be the next president of the United States." <laughs> responded, and that's responded to with feminine screeching from his audience. Um, I mean, I always knew that, like, if you're a liberal crowd, sounds more feminine. Um, <laughs> now it's like more annoying to me, but it was apparent to me when I when I first watched this when it was new, also. But anyway, see, I, I've um, managed to avoid this for all these years. Thanks, Nat. You've made me watch it now. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he goes on to roll uh, footage from his failed presidential campaign. Oh, as Futurama. Well as a Futurama, yeah. Um, which you know is kind of. Um, all everyone involved with that is is on his side about like the world um but he uh he he actually uh, plays some sound bites from the mayor of new orleans uh those sound bites are not by name but but insinuating criticism of george bush's handling of hurricane katrina um and and then moments later, he's uh, doing some awful stand-up crapping on George Bush's administration again, without mentioning W. But uh, it's just really awful stand-up. Um, so the 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 2000 uh, presidential election came down to this razor-thin margin, as I said. And Al Gore thought it was a good idea in this, you know, supposedly like world-saving TED talk uh, to ensure that half of Americans would need to subjugate themselves across the political spectrum in order to engage on this particular issue. By making it a partisan issue, everything that you don't uh, uh, agree with your opposition about, you now need to kowtow to that opposition in order to like sort of meet in the middle on this particular thing. Um, and, and, and the problem with the global warming discussion overall is ego. 
Like if Al Gore cared about making progress, he would not, he, he, he would have gotten Michael J. Fox to give the talk. He wouldn't have done, done it himself. He would have left himself entirely out of it. He would have just served as like a producer or something. Um, and he would have left are we all are we other. Talking, oh, just a quick one. Are we talking about both at once or are we going to do one and then the other, this one and then the sequel? Oh, we're, we're going to talk about the sequel after this. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Because there's there a couple of bits from the sequel that. Yeah. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, so, we won't combine them. We'll, we'll, uh, because yeah. there's a lot of interesting stuff in, in either, uh, you know, this one, this one was made in 2006. So a lot of things have changed. But the way that it sort of set off the whole conversation, um, the way that Al Gore <laughs> couldn't resist putting a lot of politics into, uh, into this documentary, uh, I mean, it, it says it all, really. I mean, his his egotism really damned the whole conversation. Um, the, well, yeah, the other... you, can see, you can see this is an ego project, can't you? With his um, what what was he calling his trainees or whatever they are, <laughs> his uh, climate trainees that that probably have to pay through the nose for the privilege of being trained by. Oh Al, no, that's they? the sequel. That's the sequel. Oh, is that the sequel? I thought you were about him in these in this as well. Oh, really? I thought this was just a bunch of yuppies who invited to come watch him. I didn't know this was a uh, seminar. Um, but uh, in any case, the other extremely important part of the film is that it tries to make uh, predictions, which to me established the 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 whole idea of, of climate apocalypse alarmism. So one of the most famous images uh, from the movie um, is that it shows really well-crafted visuals of cities like satellite Im images of cities being flooded until they're like unrecognizable. Yeah, and then he drags 9-11 into it, doesn't he, as well, just to extra tug on those heartstrings, doesn't he? <laughs> right, well, you see, uh, unfortunately... See you don't save the world, the 9-11 the, the memorial site will get flooded. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, at that time, it was just planned, um, but... Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, you love your country. You, you know, you want to honor the people of 9-11. Well, if you want to honor the people who died on 9-11, then you got to get a Prius. Come on, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but of course... Because uh, consumer, years... consumerism can save us from global warming, didn't you know that, Matt? Right. Get yourself a new car, buy yourself a, lo a load of new, new energy saving devices. You can save the world, Matt. Right. Um, yeah, but of course, uh, major cities are not even close to flooding like this. Um, it's, uh, the, the effects have been, uh, marginal at most, uh, and, and preventable in, in almost all cases. Um, uh, it falsely predicts the effects of global warming on specific places like Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, where where Al Gore says that its snowy peaks uh, would dry up by 2016. Now I'm looking at the uh, the clock in in my taskbar, and it looks like it's 2019 right now. So since this uh, since this doc was made, the opposite has happened, and a snow retreat has reversed in Mount Kilimanjaro. This is really important because Mount Kilimanjaro was being touted forever, forever. Like I looked this up in a shameful bout of pre uh, pre show research. Um, this oh, didn't, was didn't you know? Didn't you know that more more ice and more flooding e equals global warming? Did you not know that? <laughs> right, global warming is literally any snow and any ice disappearing. Um, but it's also literally any snow and any ice coming back. 
<laughs> whether it leaves or comes back that's that global is, warming. that is global warming i mean i i think that it was still just called global warming uh when this movie was made and it has since changed to global uh sorry uh it's climate, climate change. change now isn't it yeah and i actually well, it, it did it, used to be in the seven in the seventies, it was the ice age was coming, and now now the heat wave was coming, and now well we don't know which one it is, so so we'll just hedge our bets by calling it climate change. Right, as long as things change, we're right. Yeah. Deal with it, bigot. <laughs> but but Mount Kilimanjaro was touted forever, like I think for. 20 30 years as the poster child for the rapidly impending danger posed by global warming well it's that it's um, that a sad looking polar bear isn't it uh, right a polar bear who's uh like like trying to grab onto like a a, a piece of ice flotsam yeah um so yeah it, it, as far as i as far as i know though the polar bears they're just like regular bears because I, I i did read somewhere that apparently the polar bears are like they're coming that far south that they're just breeding with grizzlies as well now well, all I know is that if you shave a polar bear, they're black underneath, not white. So that just shows we're all black on the inside. <laughs> I don't know how it does. So it's, but, like, it's, um, like, it's like Al Gore thinks like somehow like uh, polar bears need snow to live. It's like they need they need they need air, food, snow. <laughs> well, they do, they don't even like they don't even need those things to live. Their population is is fine. But um, but the Mount Kilimanjaro thing, I want to I want to explain quickly why the uh the ice has come back um or the snow has come back it's because it's mostly dependent upon precipitation it's snow right so actually the amount of snow is not even related to global warming um it's mostly related to the amount of precipitation coming from the indian ocean so this was you know, a poster child for 30 years, but as soon as they're proven wrong, it's like, oh, well, you know, now that we wasn't understand it. It was that this. better, but we're still <laughs> totally right about everything else that hasn't been proven wrong yet, and therefore you should buy a Prius. You know, like, I, I don't well, have a problem I with... Well, buy, buy a Prius, buy, buy Al Gore's DVD, and buy tickets to Al Gore's show. And buy his book. Yeah. And also kowtow to superior democratic minds, you stupid rural retard. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not that science gets something wrong, because that is, it's okay for science to get things wrong. Science doesn't claim to be right uh, all the time or be right forever. Being wrong and changing science is a is a fundamental part of science itself. Um, it's it's that when these people d play the the science is settled bit, or when they're trying to subjugate others by by getting them to make sweeping changes to their social structure, sweeping changes to their civilization based on science, we shouldn't regard science as absolute truth. We need to regard science as something that is malleable and fluid and and therefore not always worth making these gargantuan, you know, uh, uh, world shifting changes over because, you know, we, 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 we have to move at the speed of science, which is actually pretty slow. And, and these people want to make sweeping changes to how we live and only us and only us. Um, 
uh, you know, based on stuff that's going to change. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like it it takes it takes all this time to watch the events unfold for science to work properly, doesn't it? Right, especially because we're trying to make projections here. We're not doing experiments on past events. We know what the climate looked like 10,000, 100,000 years ago. We know how much CO2 was in the atmosphere. We know what the temperature was, but we don't know the future. There's no consensus <clears throat> on the future. Um, and, and we need to sort of take things day by day, year by year, and and reduce all of this alarmism but the alarmism was really established in this um in this movie so i watched it when it was new in 2006 like i said before and it contained uh for me the only information that was widely available at the time so i was really inspired by this movie and i got really into green tech um really into all all kinds of of, of green tech research um, but but aside from solar power getting a lot cheaper to produce, in theory, almost none of this green tech stuff has materialized in any substantial way in the last you know almost fifteen years now. Well, the other um, thing, that, um, he, he, uh, Al makes out that like uh, re- solar energy is like brand new technology, and it's not. It's been around since the nineteen hundred, and and if it was really that good, oh. Yeah, well, um, solar technology has actually improved a ton, um, but but even even as it's improved, it still has the same problems that it always has. Um, mm. Despite receiving like exponentially more funding and resources year after year, like for example, uh, the energy you can produce is bound to weather conditions. Like that's obvious, right? Like you're getting energy from the sun, so not the if you're a solar farmer. It. Have you heard the story about the solar farmers in Spain? Um, they were no. getting their subsidies. So what they were doing at night is they is they were putting floodlights on the solar panels so they could get more, so they could get their subsidies in. Oh, Spain, earning your reputation. <laughs> oh boy, um, I didn't hear about that. That is fascinating. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, uh, in practice, solar energy is not cheap to produce in most of the world. It's it, because its production is interrupted all the time. You know, not only that, it, uh, the storage, rains. St- the technology, the storage technology, really is like coming up quick enough. Either is it? That's absolutely right. So it would be ideal if you could somehow move lots of electricity from places which are sunny to those that are not. But that technology just it, it simply doesn't exist. I mean, there have been ideas around it. Um, but they require such sweeping changes, and you know, it's just it, no no one's really figured out how to do it how to do it really well yet. So, um, although solar energy, like just to produce in a vacuum, uh, has gotten a ton cheaper, uh, it, it's not really practical. And the same sort of limitations apply to like most renewable energy um, because it's it's sort of based on entropic or or entropic, but uh, kind of a RNG factors for the gamers out there. It's uh, kind of random. Um, so yeah, I, I researched this. I became really really obsessed with climate change and 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 really focused on solutions to global warming. And I became you know kind of like that fedora tipping type who um there there's this comic that was shared a lot uh where like all these important politicians and whatnot are in a um an imaginary auditorium where there's a slideshow being shown of like all the benefits of going green it's like you know generate high skilled jobs or or you know a uh, uh, better air quality um 
this and that. Um, and then a, a, a very problematic middle-aged white male with a red tie, he's standing up amidst the crowd and he goes, but wait a minute, what if we're making the world a better place for no reason? <laughs> so uh, that's another example. Uh, we talked about uh, with the with the Adam Ruins Everything segment earlier, how the leftist way is to uh, shift the goalposts. If you're not winning the argument, just change the argument. Uh, yeah. So what exactly. leftists have done is like, okay, so even if global warming is not exactly what we say it is, just do this stuff anyway. Buy the Prius, bigot. Well, if you look at if you look at the big picture, I mean, the political um, the political ecosystem is just as complicated as the global ecosystem, isn't it? In, in the fact there are so many competing variables, aren't there? Yeah, there's. Um... <clears throat> the the uh the political situation is is that all all the promises that obama and countless other elected officials have made uh especially as it pertains to fostering urban renewal through green technology putting a stop to urban sprawl through green tech and and mass transportation and alongside the the claims of thousands of scientists engineers technologists almost all of it has proven to be a boondoggle over the last 15 years and well, it's, it's the eternal political problem isn't it you, you know you know you vote someone in for something and they never do it do they oh you be- believe you me i know all about that but <laughs> it's like this is a systemic thing this is everyone has been promising a better world uh has been promising um just just basically a green utopia and really nothing I th- I think, is manifested I, I think al, al was right in one point where he says like i don't know whether it's big oil or just generally big business but but big big business is 100 against rebel energy because there's no way of making money off it is there once you've sold the actual product i mean i can i can understand why there are are practical problems there and there must be practical problems because it hasn't really um it, it hasn't really come to fruition um but like things have things have gotten worse in the meantime like if if crime and pollution haven't gotten worse it's because uh, uh politicians have kind of evicted certain industries from the area or they've they've introduced a police state so you know they they're not they're not holding up to their own well, I, was, I was listening to i can't remember it was i listening listening to the other day it may well have been um ben shapiro but <laughs> but he made a good point he, he said that um he said that what'll happen is is there's there's a fence in the middle of a farm what'll happen is a, le- a, a, fe- a left a left a leftist will come up to it come up to the fence and they'll go what's this fence doing here i don't know what it's here for rip it up whereas whereas somebody from the right will come in and they'll go oh there's a fence here what's the fence for I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that that the left and right dynamic actually work, but I believe there are two groups of people that do the same thing, don't they? Because it, it isn't it that with the wildfires in um, in California that 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 a lot of the budgets were cut in the um, making making fire breaks and uh, clearing up debris and stuff like that. I'm not too familiar with that, um, but I, I I do feel for like the people who are kind of uh, they're sort of going against the the trend of the quote scientific community and they're sort of being bullied into place and you know there's there's nothing they can really do about it uh they're just finding themselves sort of uh being ostracized by the click so you know we've talked about how things haven't really gotten much better and i think al gore seems to agree as he expresses in our next film an inconvenient sequel Oh, my God.
So Al Gore's learned nothing. He again opens right up with the jab at half the country, this time updating his George W. Bush reference to a, a little reference to Donald Trump, uh, who who <laughs> at one point he said, I, I don't know, maybe this was in a tweet that uh, uh, he thinks that uh, uh, Al Gore should have his Nobel Prize taken away. Um, and Al Gore did receive a Nobel Prize since making an inconvenient truth. Um and uh, and and this really is a sequel. Uh, it, I, I'm actually uh, surprised by all the consistency. Like they really did look at the original film and decided to kind of have a continuity between them um, and and really up the ante in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that because this uh, an inconvenient truth was such a a watershed moment for this topic uh, that they really wanted to do, go all out for this sequel. Um, I mean, in terms of setting, the movie starts in a similar way to the first one with Al Gore on a stage. Instead, now uh, it's uh, not a bunch of uh, yuppies. They take care to focus when they when they zoom in on the crowd, they focus on a few black guys and and one blonde woman, of course, who uh, who looks like a lesbian. Um, (laughs) As for how people look, Al Gore, he then makes a bad stand-up joke about how he looks now. But then we're off the stage. Boom, we're going around the world with Al Gore. We only open up the movie in a TED why Talk does, format. Why does stopping global warming involve so much air travel? Oh, right. That, that's the old, the old chestnut <laughs> that all these, all these people who, who care so much about global warming actually have an enormous carbon footprint. Well, Leonardo DiCaprio cares so much that he drives around in a fly, private jet to all of his talks. Then. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's a. I don't really play that game. It's a little thing, you know. A single a single uh, uh, plane flight is is very little. Uh, has a very small carbon footprint, and we'll talk about um, why maybe carbon oh, footprint you, is, is just so he can finish anyway. a bit off. Did you notice when he went into his ho- hotel room later on in the program, he just switches every single light on? Oh yeah. Well, he's filming, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, gotta, I, I, I know, I know, but. It, I thought we'll just get this bit out of the way. Well, that's a good. I mean, that's a good uh, uh, segue. The production quality is insanely better in this film than it was in, in *Inconvenient Truth*. I mean, the nature footage looks like it came from the BBC. Al Gore's visiting glaciers. He's visiting Miami. Yeah, that, o- that opening Indian shot. Paris. That opening shot with a dripping glacier. That was just like beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Global warming is incredibly majestic. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But but the reason he's traveling around so much is like it's trying to say like, hey, look, this is an actual physical problem. Like instead of showing you graphs, it's like doing the meme. Like we're tired of showing you people graphs. Um, he's uh he's showing people, you know, a, a global warming from the ground level. Um, so I, I was just wa- he- I was just wondering how much does the climate leadership training cost? Because I, I should imagine you don't get it for free, do you? I mean, yeah. Um, I I would imagine that. George Bush has George Bush. Oh my God! <laughs> Al Gore has become incredibly oh, rich um, over the past uh, fifteen years um, because of global warming. And um, but I, but I, I wager that he's put a bunch of that back into his cause. I wager he's done that. So I, I can't begrudge him too much. Um, so he goes to like the glaciers of Greenland, uh, and and he also goes to Miami Beach, uh, where they're having some flooding issues. Um, more so now than they have in the past. 
Um, and so he's talking with some city officials who are explaining how they're going to prevent the flooding of roads near the beach. And it seemed to me like Gore was almost disappointed while he was talking to them. Uh, and he's trying to sort of tease out of them how maybe despite all of their technological solutions, they won't be able to control the situation. And it, it suddenly struck me that I think for him, one of the worst outcomes is if the effects of climate change are manageable, then he will be remembered as an alarmist and he wants to be remembered as the hero of humanity. But if we all just sort of like get, get along, like we just, you know, the climate changes a bit and we make some adjustments to how we design our cities yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move we'll move the we'll move the road up a foot so we allow allow for e- extra. That's what right, and, and that's the bit he seemed quite disappointed, didn't he? He's like, oh, exactly, exactly. He's like, well, well, you're going to need to move it up more, right? Like, yeah, we might have to move it up more sometime. Here's something that made me think. You know, you know, you, you know, you have the bit where um where Manhattan's flooded. Um, I, I wonder yeah, though, those, those, sky, those skyscrapers. Do you think they'd still use the floors that weren't above? That were above the water. It was just it was just like a weird thought I had while I was watching it. Uh, while the flooding was going on. No, no. Once the once the floods finished and settled, do you think they'd just make use of the stuff that was still poking out of the water? It was just a, it was just one of those weird thoughts I had while I was watching it. Well, um, so some buildings were closed down mm. um, for like up to a month, but typically nothing was closed down um, if there was not. Uh, any kind of hazard. So the way that they did it is they divided New York City into zones. Some of these zones were mandatory evacuation zones. And mm. they're only mandatory in the sense that if there's any like vital danger to your life, um, if you're if you're still in the mandatory evacuation zone after a certain time, like they're not going to come and help you. So you can still stay in um, in the building if you want, but you likely would not have had electricity. Um, even if your building had a generator, a lot of those generators were stored in in the basement, and all those basements were flooded. So it didn't. Really... Yeah, that's what I was thinking because a lot. Of, I assume a lot. A lot of the power is all down. All the power and gas would be down in the basement. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could have a situation where like the water would get into the uh, like the boiler room of a building, and the gas would back up and then fill up the whole building with gas. Oh, blog. <laughs> Don't you mean Oi Pei? Um, <laughs> um, I'm just being the eternal Anglo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this wasn't like deadly gas, but it sure as, as hell wasn't. Uh, uh, well, it's explosive, gas. isn't it? So, uh, no, no, oh, not, was it not, was not, it not, not natural not super, gas. Then? I mean, the, the gas that they use in boilers are not like super duper unstable. So, you know, it's just it's just not very very healthy uh people were not really living and, and working in those uh, uh, uh buildings while the flooding was going on um however things were pretty much back to normal after a week and then like completely back to normal after a month some of the buildings had a um like giant generators outside and you know mm. I, I i looked heavily into this because this is all related to the global warming thing um or at least that's the narrative which is given um you know, so um, some there was some infrastructure damage, um, and and some buildings had to have like external generators, like the size of semi trucks, outside of the buildings for like six months or so while that infrastructure was being repaired. Now, by the way, a lot of people a don't heavy know storms, this. a heavy storm, something you get regularly then, are they? Um, in New York, I mean, yeah, 
Uh, I mean, I, I just meant in the sense like, are, there, are all the building code do all the building codes kind of allow for that that to allow for that to be happening, and that's why you don't have to have a lot of damage unless there's water involved. Well, keep in mind that uh, Manhattan is on a slope, mm. so you have. I mean, if if you think about where the UN building is located, um, that is on the water. Like if you've seen photos of the the UN building, but if you look at it, you'll see that right behind the UN building is like a cliff mm. that's like ten stories tall. So uh, most of of Manhattan is considerably above water level, like to a degree that would never be flooded. So most of it um, was literally the storm picked the water up and then threw it on the floor. Is that it? Is that what you're saying? No, there there are uh, there are parts of Manhattan which are very close to uh, the water level, and those yeah. are the parts that were flooded heavily. Um, now now a lot of people don't know this, but uh, the reason that the flooding was exacerbated is because after 9/11. Um, a lot of the drainage systems were filled up with concrete. And the reason they did this is because of the anthrax scares uh, after 9-11. They were worried that people would uh, distribute anthrax or sarin gas or other bioagents through the drainage system, which is a real danger. Um, But uh, flooding has gotten way worse in New York as a result. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of a thing. That's the thing that you find out, though, isn't it? A lot of these problems are kind of exasperated by micro micro problems rather than macro problems, aren't they? So, like, what you're saying is, like, the storm wasn't the problem in itself. It would have been a problem, but it was made worse by the by the mac by the micro situations by the by the um, blocking up of the drainage system. It, yeah, it was made worse uh, in areas that were like more uphill, if you will. Yeah, um, the flooding. Um, and, uh, however, uh, the, the lowest, you know, topography in Manhattan, I mean, you can watch footage of the water just sort of jumping up onto land and then, you know, flooding through the streets. There's no drainage that would help with that. Of course, uh, you know, there are ways to fix that. Um, you just have higher barriers near the, the river and the channel to, um, or the bay, or whatever they they call whatever the Statue of Liberty is in. Um, but this this is a but this is a thing a thing that I kind of noticed that I I thought a lot a lot of the problems weren't they weren't like big global problems they were kind of local problems like when when you look at the problems that Africa's got it's because it's all massively deforest deforestated isn't it so you've so you've, the but the de- deforestation all, all the way through through the whole world I mean surely that that's that. All, all of those trees that are missing would have been soaking up a lot of this CO2, wouldn't they? If CO2 is the big problem. Yeah, I mean, giving these people electricity has been a disaster for the human race. <laughs> well, especially when, uh, I, I think it was one of the other films, when, like India, when you see like the smokestacks belching out and things like that, don't you? Well, think of all the begging and cajoling um westerners had to do forever just to get these people to stop destroying their oh, rainforest yes this this was in that that was in um in this film wasn't it when al gore went to speak to the indian and, and he's literally and he's literally got a, got a nation the size of india base program asking for asking for gifts from al gore absolutely absolutely yeah i'm happy that we got like oh man that was so i kind of want to go through the film chronologically so if we could revisit that, I, I really want to talk about that because that stood out to me. Um, what I uh, but before that, there's a, sort of a similar uh, point to be made about the Maldives. 
So I don't know if you're familiar with the Maldives, but it's a very special country because it consists uh, entirely of islands which are barely above the ocean. Like they're basically uh, sandbars. Yeah. Um, and and there's like hundreds of them. And this is the nation of the Maldives. And I know, interesting. I know, I, know you, I know you are the guy there for a nice holiday, or you go there to hide your money, don't you? It's one of the, two, the Maldives generally. Money thing. That's funny. Um, I, I I mean, I imagine you could do so well. You can't really travel around the Maldives. You've got to take like little island hopper planes or speedboats everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, countries in the world for that tropical vibe. Mm. Um. But uh, uh, interesting fact, they elected their own Obama-style figure. Um, and I think this was shortly after Obama uh, rose to power in America. Uh, however, later on, a military coup replaced the Maldives' Obama with a more theocratic um, Muslim regime, essentially a, 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 a Muslim fascist regime. <laughs> now, uh, From Obama to Iran. <laughs> Yeah, basically. And Gore doesn't mention that. I wonder why. Mm. I mean, I, maybe it's because he, he doesn't want you to stop caring about climate change because you might be helping out uh, theocratic fascists. <laughs> I, think, I think it's the other way around. I think if you look too, right, too closely, you might find out that it's these, it's these people's civilizational incompetence that's the reason that they're in so much trouble. Well, that's true, but um, but at least they did have the sense to open up their country to tourism. Uh, and in fact, their tourism industry, despite all this harping about how the the country won't exist, you know, in a year, um, but despite what they've been saying for for ten years now, um, the the tourism industry has only gotten better year after year in the Maldives. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, on the on the topic of fascism, uh, uh, Al Gore says next, like in order to solve the climate crisis. I mean, this is amazing. In order to solve the climate crisis, we must first solve the quote democracy crisis. <laughs> This is literally one of those, what did he mean by this memes? <laughs> I know, right? Oh my god. Now, now Borzoi on the pause button uh, was saying that uh, solving these problems will take illiberal measures, but it sounds much more menacing coming from Al Gore. Basically yeah. the same sentiment. I, th I, think it's, I think it's because, you know, like, uh, Borzoi has our politics and Al Gore doesn't. <laughs> I think that's probably what makes it sound a bit more menacing is the fact that you know that you don't agree with him politically. I know that what he wants to do will be bad for me and not good. But actually, I really hope that Al Gore and his ilk start to become more authoritarian. I want uh, I, I want these people to, to give the citizens more chances to become punished and fed up because that's exactly what happened in France with the Yellow Vest movement, right? The Yellow yep. Vest movement was a direct result of of france's participation in the paris agreement yeah it was the it was the uh the fuel hikes wasn't it that, that really that, that's that right was the final straw wasn't it that's right and it's extended in all sorts of things like the media and, and bankers um and and it's well, all, I've it's long, all... I'm, a, I'm i'm quite cynical so i've i've long thought that that this green agenda just ha just have to be a good idea for keeping the plebs off the road so you don't have to deal with all this traffic if you're rich I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Um, uh, or I'll just ride a bike. As long as nobody expects me to get anywhere quickly, I'm, I'll happily ride a bike. Or too far. Right. Um, I, and I think this, is, this whole democracy crisis uh, statement is very reflective of today's politics. Um, well, number one, he's still so salty 
about not being president. I mean, I get it. Like being president is kind of a big deal. And if you lose by a hair's breadth, it's like, it sucks. Yeah, um, but he holds... the, thing is though, the thing is though, since then, Hillary's stolen his, doesn't she? <laughs> well, I, I think that Hillary's like this also. They, they, they hold a grudge against the American people for not storming Washington for picking the wrong person at the election. More, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not so much that. It's the fact that they could pick. Why did they pick the wrong person? I mean, they barely chose the wrong person. There was like a difference of like 30 votes or something. Um, <laughs> it was so close that it gets to that point. Uh, the, the 2000 election was so close. It gets to that point where it's like impossible to tell who won because elections are not a perfect process, you know? Um, it's it's like the same thing with a lot of the recent uh, midterms in the U.S. where there's there's so much tomfoolery going on in the election. It's like you 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 don't really know who won in a lot of cases. Like not. And really. then and then it becomes a who blinks first, doesn't it? As to who wins the election. Basically, I mean that's what happened here. Al Gore conceded um, the election when the I believe it was the Supreme Court. They they decided that. Um, they, they 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 brought the gavel down on who won Florida. Now this could be, have been appealed. This could have been tied up in court for for months. Um, but but right then and there, Al Gore conceded, and a lot of people who were who were rooting for him uh, were very upset about that. Um, well, we 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 know we know our politicians who get who get cook, who get caught lie, lying lying about who where their speeding fences are, and they and they still carry on going into the House of Commons wearing wearing an ankle tag. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where politics. How much politics has changed in the, in those years since since Al Gore lost? Yeah, right. I mean, this kind of controversy uh, from two thousand uh, is like nothing compared to what we have today. I don't think for a long time will you see a politician, you know, fall on their sword for the greater good. I think those days are long gone. No, I really do admire him. I admire that he readily conceded uh, that election. I mean, Hillary and the DNC started screaming about Russians for exposing their own corruption because they're a bunch of losers. Uh, Al Gore is egotistical. He's not, I wouldn't say he's a loser. He's just very egotistical. He seems to be an idealist as well, doesn't he? I don't know about that. I think he projects as an idealist. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's a bit eccentric. I mean, mm. he, he's the one saying that we have a democracy crisis and then he calls other people extremists almost in the, in the next breath. So yeah, do, you th- do you think maybe that Al Gore and this Al Gore are two different Al Gores, if you know what I mean? It, he's become embittered by not becoming, becoming president or something like that. Well, he's, he's raging throughout this sequel. And it's a really yeah, yeah. large well, I mean, departure. You, you look at the way it starts during the titles when when you're having all the sound bites of everyone slagging Al Gore off, aren't they? Right. Yeah. The uh, well, the you know, there's been a lot of debate that's changed uh, the the discussion since uh, an inconvenient truth. Um, but he's in an inconvenient truth. He sort of has like a gentle uncle vibe, and and now he's sort of like. He's sort of doing like this, like yelling, like, do something now. Somebody do something. I mean, there are many moments where he is literally screaming at an Yeah, audience. yeah. He gets very animated, doesn't he? I, I don't know yeah, whether he thinks uh, he, I don't know whether it's still the still the religious thing, whether he thinks he's one of them one of them old Southern Baptist preachers or something like that. Oh hey, that's an interesting analogy. But there's so many moments in this movie where he's like feigning an emotion. And he's such a politician. I mean, for for seeming like kind of a weirdo, like a nerd and a weirdo, he is like super 
he's a hyper politician. I guess you don't become vice president without politicking, but every time you you see him talking to people, he's like schmoozing everyone he meets, and it's just so disingenuous. It's so funny. It, an, another another kind of analogy with the with the religious thing. It's like he's sending he, he trains his apostles and sends sends them out into the world, doesn't he? That's right. That's right. Uh, le- leaders, climate leadership. Some kind of climate uh, leadership program where yeah, he trains yeah. people to participate in the movement. Climate I leadership mean, training. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like training priests and, and sending them out. And and th- this is actually a very important point. Like climate change is the secular uh, is is part of the leftist religion because what it does is it serves as their eschatology. It is a um, it is a secular eschatology. The, it's the study of the end of the world for people who uh, who don't understand the Bible, basically, or refuse to uh, understand the Bible. Well, the um, thing is, the thing is as well, it's like uh, not meaning to dig at you, Yanks, but like like when whenever you see like the consumption graphs and everything, it's like America's the top of the tree. Why why doesn't like why don't why don't people like Al Gore kind of wind wind their neck in and like contr- concentrate on sorting America out, and then once they've done America, then move everywhere else. In trying to sort, instead of trying to sort out the whole globe all at once. Well, uh, I mean, for what it's worth, um, America has been uh, kind of keeping itself out of a lot of the global discussions. There was the uh, Kyoto Agreement that America sat out of, and then well, well recently... if, Al, if Al Gore, if Al Gore, instead of going around globe trotting around the world, was going around the states of America talking to talking to local local government surely he could have got far more done and he could have actually been bringing down co2 in the time he's globe trotting around the world trying trying to trying to raise his international profile well okay Let, let's touch upon this now like they are one of the major major kind of chapters of this movie is that they talk about the quote developing world aka the third world um now you can see this contrasted pretty starkly against all of the Western, um, you know, white places that Al Gore goes to. You know, mm. he he talks to like these Swiss researchers in Greenland, and they're completely on board. Then mm. he goes to India, and 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 they talk about very honestly. I'm impressed by this um, about how the third world contributes 65 percent of of the world's greenhouse gases um and, to be fair but, I, I would uh, to be fair he's a very good prime minister isn't he because or whatever he is because he's absolutely advocating for his own country first rather than other people isn't he something which you don't see in politics over here in west do you? well absolutely i mean i mean i i, I think that it, it it's interesting to me because this is exactly what it's like introducing new ideas to certain people groups mm. they just sort of get angry and aggressive with you uh, without giving any real rationale for it and then it's eventually like, and eventually it dawns on them that hold on this bloke we wants this what's it what's it it's going to cost him well that uh, but also it's like they don't even know why they're disagreeing with him he's just sort of bringing a new idea to the table yeah like they're just sort of doing all these uh they're using coal power plants and whatnot because that's what they've been doing like you know since the english like built them you know well coal's coal um, not only that coal's highly efficient as an energy source isn't it it, it, well, it, it's got a lot it's, of sto- it's got a lot of stored energy in it it's it's very convenient to use as an energy source because it's very plentiful 
um, but also easy to transport. So you can transport it by train and basically store it in a silo somewhere anywhere. forever. Yeah, yeah anywhere. And uh, use it whenever you need it. So it is very, very handy. Um, and it doesn't require a lot of technical expertise um, <clears throat> to keep stable, uh, unlike nuclear. Um, nuclear is a great option, but it's, you know, there are various stages of technology. There's the whole it, bomb it, it, thing going along with it, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 need to make sure it doesn't melt down. But modern nuclear power plants don't really have that problem. But at the same time, uh, if you mishandle um, any aspect of it, it can be really bad. And frankly, I don't trust these people to handle it well. Um, so you know they uh, they they call the third world the developing world, as I said. But I, I kind of take an issue with that. Like it isn't developing; it's developed. Like, this is how it is. Oh, this is, is what yeah, India is going it to, seems be. to be. It seems to be as far as it's going to go. I mean, they've got a space program. I mean, when are they going to join the dots with everything else? <laughs> I mean, implying they have a space program. But, <laughs> um, you know, they any, anything that they can do by getting together like their top 1% of minds is going to be fine. But getting the whole of a third world to to change from what we see it as like that's not going to work and and well, if, all if, um, they try to Borzoi's, do if Borzoi's empire of dirt dirt episode is anything to go by it sounds like it's like herding cats to it exactly empire of dust yeah yeah um uh, but they try to unlike empire of dust which just shows you how it really is how the how the world really is this mm. film is showing you things like uh, they show you a picture of africans with solar panels, which are powering, I, I distinctly recognized these devices. You know, being um, being involved with the green tech for a while, um, these solar panels were powering uh, what are called uh, uh, one laptop per child devices or one LPCs. So the one well, LPC that brings, is that brings me to another point. What are they doing on those laptops? I mean, surely, uh, yeah, what, I mean, what are they doing? Playing <laughs> what do they need laptops typing. Yeah, or or, um, or going on eBay or Facebook. <laughs> they're yeah, they're they're sending uh, uh, spam Snapchats. Oh, they're they're sending out lottery winning email. Right, exactly. They're pretending to be Nigerian princes, but like this is this image is incredibly misleading because uh, one LPC is an extremely limited program, and I I haven't even been able to find any modern information on it. Um, I mean, it just shows how much leftists like to cherry pick and constantly play upon emotion when they show mm. an image like that. That is absolutely not re like consider that, you know, they're going to be something like four billion Africans in the world um, by like 2050 or something. Um, there's only been three million uh, one LPCs in the ever ever produced you know this is a very very limited program so you know a leftist will look at that image and go oh we're, we're bringing green technologies allowing us to bring the modern world out to these remote villages it's like no it's not not really i mean it, that particular instance where that photo was taken like and who knows how long they even used those things before just like selling all the gold inside of the uh microchips you know <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, what good? What good's a computer to a place to to a place where you where you probably have to do a twenty mile round trip to go and fetch your water every day? Yeah, just having a computer doesn't mean anything. Like I remember my great grandmother. Um, thankfully, we were alive at the same time for a little while, and um, she was saying, um, 
I was saying something like, I'm, I'm going to go do my homework. And she's like, oh, on the computer? And I'm I'm like, uh, yeah, no, maybe. Maybe some of it's like, oh, yeah, it does your homework for you. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and she goes, oh, yeah, but it gives you all the answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> nowadays, that's actually kind of true, but it was not true at the time. It was very difficult to... Uh, to actually get information on your computer. Um, mm. Computers were mostly just used for like playing games and doing your taxes. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I I'm really happy that they focus on the Paris conference, which was like sort of the run up to the Paris agreement. Um, I, I wish that they gave us more of an insight into the, the Paris agreement a little bit. Um, I, I guess they just couldn't do that. Uh, I, they talk about the 2015, Muslim terrorist attack in Paris that murdered hundreds of people. Were they, were they hinting that this. this was caused by global warming? Because that's, no. that's the link that I got in my mind. I mean, not that I believe it for a second, but it's kind of, you know, oh, look, climate change, climate change, climate change. Oh, look, here's a terrorist attack. No, I, I think what they were actually trying to express here is that, um, like, the fact there was a terrorist attack, it threw everyone off and they couldn't be as productive as they wanted to be with the mm. conference. Um, so who represented there then? Would that would that have been Obama at that one? Yeah, Obama would be at that one. That was in 2015, yeah. and they show him talking uh, briefly, very briefly. Um, he he he's the he's the one who says like even though there was a terrorist attack, we should still have this conference. Um, but yeah, I, I think I was meant to forget about this event. You know, it's really uh, how how many times has this happened? Like, and you don't even remember uh, every. Oh, it's, it's something I'll put in my notes. I'll put. Uh... The, the bit where he talks about tropical diseases are on the move. Are tropical diseases on the move? Or are sufferers of the tropical diseases on the move? Yeah, I didn't really get that one. Um, I, I think he was just sort of saying, like, because the environment has changed, bad stuff has happened. Like, yeah, yeah, because he said no about the mosquitoes. But I, I was wondering whether the yeah. actual cause was more to do with people with said tropical diseases are on the move rather than the actual. That is an extremely good point. And I noticed that he took care not to... Um, he took care not to uh, bash the transportation industry. He called it a transportation revolution. Yeah. So he didn't come down on like aircraft or anything like that. Why? Because he knows that it's serving the agenda of 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 displacing the third world into the West. Well, not in um, a, at any point in either documentary does he meant does he mention deforestation? Does he? I mean, you remember, you remember all those stats from when you were at school, you know, is it the size of a football field disappears every hour in Brazil or day or something? Well, that's very 90s era environmentalism. Now, now yeah. you just need to buy the Prius bigot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, cause that, that's the problem. It's a solution, isn't it? Because if you go, we've got all this extra CO2 in the air. Oh, what what eats CO2? Oh, plants eat CO2. Let's, let's put some more trees up then. But it's like that's the problem. It's a solution. He doesn't, he doesn't want to sell you solutions. He just wants to sell you problems, doesn't he? Well, as a matter of fact, we don't actually need to like aggressively plant more trees, which people are doing. There are a lot of people who mm. are planting more trees. Um, when you have more CO2 in the atmosphere, uh, flora and fauna tend to take better advantage of that CO2. So plants tend to grow healthier. Just mm. like uh, people in South Korea 
are said to be like taller than people in North Korea because they have better nutrition. So plants get better nutrition from the CO2 in the atmosphere. And so they get bigger and better and they mm. reproduce more as a result. And so their offspring are bigger and better and more plentiful. So yeah, that is absolutely a regulating factor is vegetation. Um, when there was a ton of like oxygen in the atmosphere, that's when you had like, you know, spiders the size of a Buick and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the environment, uh, of course, adapts. I mean, the, the whole narrative here is that the environment is going to change so drastically, we won't be able to maintain our standard of life. And if we want yeah. to do that, we have to buy the Prius. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what you, I, mean I don't know why he just doesn't say, look, buy a, buy a Prius, because that's what he really means. Because he yeah. does tell us that only buying, buying the latest cars can, can help this problem. Well, he wants governments although to force can... you to buy the Prius. That, that's oh, the goal. Can, they want to make sweeping mention... policy changes. Uh, although he doesn't mention the fact that like the most pollution a car will ever give out is when it's made. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and, and that's the same thing for producing solar panels, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, that's a good that's a good point. Let me, let's touch upon that. Um, so they mention how so in in Inconvenient Sequel, they mention how solar energy has seen large theoretical reductions in price. Right? We 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 talked about that earlier, and they even point out that it's because of panels getting cheaper. What they don't say, and he also that mentioned that China are producing all of this. Well, I don't even recall them saying that China's doing that. He it just did, goes did, to I, China. I remember him mentioning specifically oh, okay. that China oh, okay. are leaps and bounds ahead of the US on this technology. He said that at some point. Okay, so let me let me explain what the hell's going on here because this is it, it, it's very very annoying because very few people know about this and it's uh, it's actually um, kind of integral to the Paris Agreement. So the process is to make solar equipment creates byproducts which are insanely bad for the environment. Not in the sense of global warming, but like more like in the sense of nuclear waste. It's not literally nuclear waste, but it's uh, it's almost as bad uh, for the uh, local environment. Um, so uh, some of the most efficient, efficient in quotes, uh, processes are illegal in America and Europe, but not in China. So, for example, just dumping the byproducts into a lake. Can't do that <laughs> in Europe. Uh, China has no problem creating lakes of battery acid. Um, so this, this basically guarantees that China will always own that market by providing the cheapest panels. <laughs> and that's why China has been investing so much into this. Now, uh, the Paris Agreement, one of its stipulations was that uh, all of the, quote, developed nations, and we know what those are uh, and, and, and which people they consist of, uh, the developed nations must convert a certain percentage of their uh, energy production to renewables, things like solar panels and wind turbines. Who's going to produce that equipment? Who produces most price? of the world's electric? Yes, I'm, I'm struggling here. Nat, can you think of a nation that produ produces a lot of electronics? Well, I I, I, and believe, isn't bothered I can't about remember pollution. the name. I can't <laughs> can remember the name, but it's it's the same nation which also doesn't have to abide by these rules. They get to use fossil fuels in increasing, increasing amount, while the West needs to decrease their fossil fuel consumption until they quote meet in the middle. Now. All, uh, 
while that's going on, an enormous amount of money would be changing hands in favor of China as the West is buying all of its renewable energy equipment, um, which may not even perform as well as the fossil fuels that they already have on hand and have all the infrastructure for. So we would also need to be creating all of this infrastructure as well. While that's going on, China's just happily chugging along with coal power plants and no reduction in in shipping fuel and and all of this stuff. So they go and, on and, from and strength it, and when to it strength. Comes to, and when it comes to stopping all of this stuff, do you think they'll do it? Oh yeah, at the point that they meet in the middle, like do I do I really think they're going to slow down their economy for something some Laowai like wants them, you know, at, at some point like in 50 years? It's like no. Yeah. No, 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 go fuck yourself, Whitey, or whatever you are in 50 years. I don't even know. Round it pertains to the west. <laughs> um you know, there there there's no guarantee that they're going to do this because the Paris Agreement, there's no like legally binding thing where they're going to nuke you if you don't uh, live up to it. <laughs> well, uh, um, did did carbon credits come out of the Paris Agreement then? You know, oh, the, you know the system where you can carry around. on pollute, where you can carry on polluting to the same amount, but you just buy your pollution off somebody else. So yeah, that, buy, that, that, that system's else. been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just utter bullshit, isn't it? it it's it's literally a fig leaf, isn't it? As as we say over it. Yeah, it's it's very silly, sort of. Uh, uh, you know, again, it's like leftist religion where yeah. they're making they're making a sort of a little prayer to their their secular god, <laughs> the god of CO two, right? Um, so um, yeah, that that whole thing is a scam. I mean, well, you might wonder then why if it's a scam, why would leaders in Europe like want to do this in the first place? And the, the answer is that they you know th this is popular with their constituents and they want to get votes so by uh, it's not popular with constituents it's it's popular with i don't know which whichever group pays their wages or, or or you know it, it makes them look good on the tv it's it's not popular with their actual the people that no, vote I, for them. I think this is popular with angela merkel's constituents are you talking about talking about a current population or the previous german population <laughs> <laughs> i i think that there are enough left-leaning people um for whom this is a, an especially important topic and they don't actually care or even think about what the agreement is they just sort of have car they cargo cult everything and and they just oh, want a, to a do little, this. a little thing from the news over here do you know caroline lucas is that's up no never heard of her she's the leader of the green party in in the uk and she recently got in trouble for comparing climate change denial to holocaust denial oh okay yeah yeah i saw this i saw this you posted this i think yeah i think i posted it somewhere yeah right right um oh oh no 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 i actually did not see that uh from you what i did see was uh, a point that someone um, named Roy Spencer, he's a, a NASA scientist who uh, it, basically he says that this is a natural cyclical climate change and uh, and that he's uh, he is calling uh, people who use the term um, climate deniers, uh, he's calling them climate change Nazis. So the ADL <laughs> has actually condemned Roy Spencer because of this language. Um, well, yeah, I, like... I'm probably I'm closer to Roy in my beliefs on it. I I think these sort of temperature things happen anyway. I I think maybe we we can it, we can affect it to a degree or so, but not to the uh, to the the extent we do. Yeah, I I mean my take on it is that uh, you know you asked why Al Gore 
uh, doesn't go around the U.S., like his his actual country? Why is he going around the world and bullying everyone? Well, uh, two reasons. One, uh, you know, most of the problem and, and most of the escalation is coming from the third world. And two, we see why when he goes to a, a very, very white town in Texas, uh, even though it's a self-described conservative Republican town, they're 100% on board with Al Gore's ideas. Well, that, I mean, that guy, he's a deep red, isn't he? Uh, he's a deep red Republican, isn't he? Um, the whole place is, isn't it? He made, he made pains to, to, uh, to emphasize it as well, didn't he? Yeah, they went to great lengths to emphasize this. Um, and I actually admired that because it was one brief reprieve from the partisanship. Um, but well, could- you see the stark, stark difference between the third world and, you know, the Western world um, as it pertains to the ability to think about the environment and to put it first and to to actually uh, conceive of ways to have your cake and eat it, too. Like, that's what well, could you imagine having the same agreement with AOC, even though she's a climate change alarmist it's only her cargo culting the ideas of people like al gore i mean she doesn't actually think she's not a thinking creature but what this really disappoints me is that immediately uh after the texas thing al gore launches into attacking a white man donald trump and then making comparisons between black issues and global warming even though he's addressing an almost entirely white audience it's like what are you doing like what who are you talking to (laughs) (laughs) and and what leftists are missing in the climate discussion are what they miss in every discussion it's their blind spot that will always doom their politics i mean at this point i'm happy to see their disappointment regardless of context Uh, personally as an extremely liberal and intersectional trans woman the race-blind hubris of white people like Al Gore is staggeringly disappointing to me. Well, yeah, I mean, at no point does he talk about massive, massive people movements, does he? And what effect, what effect that has, or whether or not these people can even be trained to behave the way Al Gore wants them to. Um, or you know, I, I mean, that's that's entirely separate issue from whether or not you can take away the liberties of people in the West in order to compensate for people outside of the West. But you know what? Um, I, I think that everyone wants the end of the world to come. Um, and this is just the secular apocalypse for leftists. You know, there's a kind of a funny little comic, a little bit boomer tier, but it's funny, um, where you, you've got this hobo holding up a sign that says the end is near. And then another hobo walks up next to him with another sign um, that says, this will never end. And he says to the first hobo, your optimism disgusts me. <laughs> we, all, we, all want, we all want the world to end. Like, we want a, a, a cease to existence that we don't have to be responsible for. Well, everyone wants, everyone wants their Mad Max future now, don't they? Well, yeah, the Mad Max future is cool. Um, a kind of a return to basics. That's one aspect of it. But another aspect of it is like, why can't we all just die together at the same time? I mm. think people just sort of have an inherent desire for that. Um, I Maybe that was uh, uh, intentional. Maybe that's an inbuilt desire uh, that, we, that, that we should have. I don't know why, but, um, but I, I think that this climate apocalypse alarmism fits that bill. The fact is that one... These changes are not going to 
affect us dramatically for a very, 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 very long time. It, do, it does I mean, make you wonder what the what the apocalypses were in like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, doesn't it? Because I, th- I oh, think yeah. there's always been an element of society that have thought the apocalypse is coming up. Without a doubt, except uh, now we have this, you know, secular religion that claims to be authoritative when it isn't. Like, for example, Al Gore shows the uh, footage of Hurricane Sandy flooding New York, and he says, like, ha, 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 this is exactly like the diagram that I showed in An Inconvenient Truth, uh, kind of yeah. glossing over the fact that his Inconvenient Truth diagram was supposed to be showing how New York's... Uh, that was sea levels uh, rising, it wasn't a storm. Right, the sea levels rising permanently, changing New York, not because of some storm. Mm. Like, And that was years ago. That was many years ago that Hurricane Sandy happened. Um, So, you know, this kind of alarmism is they're just going to keep insisting that the world's going to end and they're going to keep on pushing back the deadline. But the thing is, they want it to end. And also, we're not going to stop using fossil fuel. It's just not going to happen. As as Trump once said, we have an unlimited supply of gas. So even if the petrol dries up, even if the coal runs out, we still have like enough natural gas underneath America to last like the entire world's energy needs for like 500 years. Mm. And yeah, it's through fracking, but fracking is a technology and a relatively young one at that. So the problems introduced by fracking in the past are sort of like the problems with like solar technology in the past, the same way that solar technology has improved, uh, natural gas improves. And as natural gas improves, it um, proves itself to be a, you know, efficient and effective in all the ways that fossil fuels are. So it's, it's Speaking not of fossil as fuels, in- did, you, did, did the irony strike you of the amount of, um, the amount of rocket fuel it took to throw that, that uh, satellite into orbit? The, the satellite that Al Gore said is going to protect the world. <laughs> did, did you notice when he said protect the world? <laughs> I, I didn't actually notice that because he was subliminally saying that the entire time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But um, he actually said it's, it's up there, but it's going to protect the world was the word to you. I have to, I mean, I, I think that rockets don't actually fire enough to have a big dent on uh, the atmosphere. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of rocketry going on. Mm. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that, but we won't get into those in this episode. Um but ultimately, you know, maybe it doesn't matter how much uh, excess uh, carbon we spew out. As uh, some fellows try to explain to us in our next film, Climate Hustle. So Climate Hustle is what you would consider to be a, or what, what some people might consider to be a climate denial film. Uh, or, or not climate denial. Uh, climate change climate heretic (laughs) (laughs) climate heresy (laughs) if this is part of the leftist religion then yes it is heresy (laughs) so they have uh specifically they are skeptical about the anthropogenic part of climate change Uh, they don't really try to deny that the world is changing i think i think i think anybody Anybody who's been alive for a few years has known that the, the the seasons and everything they're kind of changing, aren't they? You can't you can't deny that fact, can you? Honestly, I have not looked at weather data. I don't mean I don't mean data. I mean I mean in your own gut and your own life experience that 
that the summers and the winters have been slightly different, things like that. I guess so. I don't know. I I, I seem to remember more snowy days as a child, but yeah. I don't know if that's really true, honestly. Like, I don't know if snow, snowy days have actually decreased drastically um, from when I was a child compared to today as an adult. Um, but, you know, I, I do know that the world is getting warmer just from looking at the data. And yeah. that's really all I need to see. Uh, people might say like, oh, you're a sheep. But I mean, no, no one has ever said that the raw data is wrong. What they have oh, said I've, is that I've heard things before that said the, the raw data has been screwed with. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have only seen like dissenting scientists. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. There's no actual because you, you can't really tr trust either side, can you? Both got their own axe to grind, haven't they? I guess so. I mean, there are dissenting scientists who uh, they don't contest the data. They just contest the interpretation of the data. Yeah. And I totally understand where this is coming from. Uh, like you have Roy Spencer, who I mentioned earlier, who mm. is basically standing against this enormous wave of, uh, you know, kind of everyone in the scientific community feels one way, supposedly, and he feels another way. And so he's kind of talking to all these people saying, hey, listen, you know, I've I've rationally looked through this data and I have another explanation. And he's essentially being met with hatred. That's the only way I can describe it is hatred. Uh, they people don't want to listen to him or if they do listen to him, they they want to suppress uh, his ideas. And that is that is really, really dangerous. But well, this, this um, isn't the only this isn't the only sector in, in modern discussion that's not open for a debate anymore, is it? Um, the LGBT, um, anything regarding LGBT, you're, you're not allowed to debate anymore, are you? Oh, so many things, yeah, so yeah. many things. This is uh, this is sort of the leftist standard, and what I boil it down to is that the the leftists use pathos, that is an emotional appeal, to make their arguments. Uh, people like Roy Spencer don't. People like Roy Spencer use logos and ethos, which are, you know, hey, look at the data, look at my logic and facts. That's the logos part of it. And the ethos is, hey, look, I was a lead researcher of climate science at, at NASA. Um, I know what I'm talking about. You know, so he uses those things, but he misses out on pathos. And, and, and that part of it is really really important it's kind of like when we were in iraq talking about how we needed to win hearts and minds in order to win the war over there and that's the same thing for for all of these issues that we're experiencing in the west uh amongst ourselves we're experiencing a kind of civil war where we need to win hearts and minds and that's what we call the call well, back to the war. pathos thing one, one thing i've got to I've, I've got to talk about that i've made notes on from the al gore was was when he was talking about the environment. I think this was towards the end. He compared it to civil rights. Um, he said it was a moral argument. Um, he was talking about abolition, apartheid, um, all kinds of things like this. All stuff to evoke really strong emotions. Well, you know, this is linked yeah. to this uh, cigarettes as well. I think he, he compared to the campaign for what what I was doing now as similar to the campaign against cigarettes and things like that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he really emphasized uh, black issues uh, towards the end of an inconvenient sequel. Um, but yeah, they have they 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 utilize pathos to make their points, and so therefore they they win more people 
over to their but they side. Do the same, that is... They do the same in the climate hustle, don't they? Well, what they do is they compare the Al Gore side of the argument to a uh, a dodgy a dodgy card card trick trickster in the street, don't they? I, I guess that is an element of pathos, is it not? It makes it gives someone an anger response, an emotional anger response. But I don't know if anger response alone is kind of the best medicine for this kind of thing. Uh, but then again, it's difficult to deal with with this in any other way. How do you make people uh, sort of cry? <laughs> How do you make them cry <laughs> over um, over Al Gore's egotism? Like it's kind of difficult to do so. Meanwhile, in like an inconvenient sequel, he's showing this like Thai person or Malaysian person. This man is like crying because he's so scared for his family. He can barely talk. Uh, he can barely talk to Al Gore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't help but laugh Gore, at that part because it's <laughs> yeah, right. It's so it's so emotionally manipulative. Uh, even though I felt really sorry for him because he he was clearly afraid. It's like I'm not going to buy a Prius because of that. I'm just not like yeah. unless I really want one, I might buy one. But uh, you know, I'm not going to do it because this guy's crying. <laughs> But but uh, after watching an inconvenient sequel sequel, it was uh, difficult to downgrade to the level of production quality and climate hustle. Yeah, I, I watched them in a different order. I watched um, I used that to break up the two Al Gore documentaries. So. Oh, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> so so I didn't like uh, I didn't get completely brainwashed before I started climate. But but at the same time, it's really eye opening to see who the powerful people are and how weak they pretend to be. So Al Gore has a swarm of orbiting interns. He has a nice office, nice transportation, but he's acting like a victim throughout yeah, the entire Yeah, he's fighting against movie. the forces of big oil, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't even mention them. I, I, I think he said much. big oil or big money somewhere, or was that or was that one of the other things I watched? But he I, mentions I corporate interests. Yeah, I'm sure. I think he might. Say, I think he said he said either big oil or big money at some stage. I, I remember. I remember hearing it. Yeah, Al, Al Gore in, in in those films, he doesn't really offer a lot of uh, policy solutions. Well, he's got, more just trying. You got to remember with Al Gore, he's just he, he's just a you know he's just a, a little just a little man, isn't he? he? Used to used to work on his farm with Pa, didn't he? <laughs> it's so funny how you become Irish uh, whenever you try to. Uh, uh, yeah, my southern accent's not too great, <laughs> but. Yeah, he he's the underdog, even though he's you know making a film with Paramount. Meanwhile, his <laughs> opponents, which are the makers of Climate Hustle, they they represent a factor of his 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 opposition. They, they have crappy they green screens. They couldn't even afford the black tape to cover cover their cherry picker, could they? I don't even think it was a real cherry picker. It looked <laughs> yeah, like a. I don't think it was either. Yeah, it looked like a graphic. I mean, their infographics are terrible. They only they only have stock footage. They they don't like they're not able to go to Greenland and fly over a uh, a, a glacier like Al Gore. And see, no no sad polar bear pic. Even their uh, interviews are not like sitting down and talking to people. Some of their interviews are just sort of running up to people at conferences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's like one's in some bloke's living room, and the other, and the other one's like walking down a hall with that other scientist, the lady scientist, wasn't? It? Oh, and just look at the host's suit when he when when the host of this, I I don't know his name, but it, when he's wearing his suit for you know doing the bulk of his narration, it's such a terrible suit. Oh, I'm sure God. the last the last time I saw that suit, I'm sure it was in uh, the Dick Tracy movie. I think I saw that suit in the Long Good Friday. <laughs> 
It was 30 years ago. Oh, wait, 40 years ago. Sorry. Jesus, God. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I'd actually, this was pretty eye-opening. This, uh, I, I would even say red-pilling mm. uh, for me, because I, I have I, never really... I think it- I think it makes a good companion to the Al Gore because then at least then you can have you can have both sides and make your own mind up then, can't you? Absolutely. Um, I found that I actually, based on my own interpretation of the scientific data, I had already come to a lot of the same conclusions as Climate mm. Hustle. And, you know, because I sort of went over that at the beginning of the episode, um, I feel like if, since you've seen Climate Hustle, you know that, like, uh, you know, they mentioned things like, uh, for example, uh, not all of the gases created um, uh, that contribute to climate change are created by us, number one. And reducing the amount of fossil fuel consumed in Western nations is not really averting the situation because they reveal that only 2% of the gases contributing to uh, climate change are represented by CO2. Well, aren't cars something? 2%. In, in, the, in the hierarchy of CO2 belches. Cars aren't as high as you think they are in the hierarchy, are they? Right. Um, also, you know, you, you have things like water vapor, and you're not really going to be able to reduce the amount of water vapor given off by the oceans. Uh, yeah. You have things like methane created literally by by cow farts. I mean, this is something <laughs> that you don't see in this like. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe climate hustle can can talk about cow farts because it's it's not trying to be all hoity-toity like Al Gore. It's a little more fast than loose, like, isn't it? Like these leftists <laughs> pretend to be. Yeah. Um. But uh, cow farts contribute a whole lot more to global warming than than CO two uh, creation. Um. I don't know how you know. Like we talked about how CO two can actually be potentially corrected by fauna i'm sorry by flora uh plants consuming more co2 i don't know about methane i don't know about water vapor but these gases contribute to global warming so much more they said we're actually in a co2 drought at the moment didn't they yeah i didn't understand what they meant by that i i think so they were saying like historically we're 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 running pretty low on co2 but it but if what you say about uh flora and fauna um being more healthy with more CO2 in the sphere. There have been studies and our and our vegetables these days actually have less nutrients in them. So good so might be a factor. Uh, our vegetation has fewer nutrients mm. despite greater levels of CO2 you're saying? So no the well, if, if what they're saying that, that the CO2 famine that would affect that would affect um how many how much nutrients you'd have in your fruit and veg, wouldn't it? Well, I, I don't know if Al Gore is straight up lying in an inconvenient truth, but it seems like we have more CO two in the atmosphere than ever before in recorded history. Well, judging um, by the cherry pick, the the stat <laughs> that I I seem to interpret the statistic that Climate Hustle was talking about uh, as saying that if you look at the history of like the Earth, then yeah, we're in a um a co2 famine but if you look at the time that human beings have been kind of active on the planet um then we're not in a famine we're in we're in kind of a a, a pretty large excess mm. uh i would say as for for crop nutrients that's probably more related to agriculture which is a degenerative process um it's, it's you have things like erosion and uh, and, and yeah. basically, like after a, uh, a certain number of seasons, you can't even use soil anymore. Well, like crop, agriculture crop, is extremely bad for soil. Rotation's a thing of the past now, isn't it? You don't get crop rotation anymore, do you? I'm not actually sure. Um, 
but I think all, uh, I think all the, they do the way now that is... agriculture works is is not good for soil. Uh, yeah, it's um, not good. Permaculture it's not, is very very interesting. Bread, really, I would uh, suggest people look look at permaculture. It, it, it seems kind of hippie-ish, and I guess it is, but it's it's basically a sustainable agriculture that uh, sort of like works together with the local environment um, rather than kind of like forcing it to uh, uh, bend to your and it produces. So, uh, produces less food, but if you, but it's also better for local farming. Mm. So you could potentially do a lot more local stuff uh, with permaculture. So oh, yeah, yeah I mean, no one, on, no one, no one mentions on, food crops, too, but uh, um, w- one thing I I didn't know at all was that um, drastic global temperature changes have actually preceded CO two changes, and by a long time, like eight hundred years. Yeah. I think food miles are a bit of a problem, aren't they? The amount of miles your food your food travels to get to you. Are you saying that has a, uh, a, a adverse effect on the quality of the food? I thought I would I would, I would have thought it would because uh, um, it's going to be frozen, and I, and I would have thought well, while stuff is frozen, it's going to be losing losing nutrients, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, unless you go to kind of the more expensive uh, grocery stores like Whole Foods or something, where they uh, pay more money. Well, it doesn't only affect that; it it affects if it affects things like local economies as well. I mean, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this green stuff can be actually useful and good at bringing bringing economies back online. And and you know, we we need to get back to a more agrarian culture, don't we? Yeah, it's it's tough though because it's it's less efficient. Um, mm. even though they they do produce better food for the most part. Uh, this makes me uh think about um. Uh, one thing i read about recently where a um a farmer uh one way that 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 family farms uh take in another revenue stream is by uh allowing people to hold like events on their property because they often you know farms are pretty beautiful especially if you have like an apple orchard or something Mm. and this guy who uh this farmer who's a catholic he doesn't want gay people getting married on his property Mm. and it's his property he has every right to do that um however the the uh the city uh banned him from the local uh farmer's market now i'm pretty sure he's going to win his case against that he's going to be seeing a judge about almost pop win because the <laughs> the city can't uh, this, this is religious discrimination it's an open well, um, case well kind but, of if, if um, they banned it, if they banned him from having weddings there you could understand couldn't you but banning him from the farmers like it is some sort of punishment isn't it oh yeah i mean it's absolutely a punishment and yeah. it's a it's it's a punishment for him following his his religion uh mm. i mean if you don't want gay people getting married on your private property and especially under religious auspices that's that's up to you and and for the yeah. state to come and make that decision like to make you know to arbitrate that and take away uh you know uh take away your livelihood that's that's messed up that is really messed up um but uh but yeah uh agriculture uh <laughs> kind, of, kind of got off on a tangent there but when, yeah, when yeah. it comes to co2 and global temperature i mean al gore was clearly very clearly trying to make a connection between the amount of co2 in the atmosphere and rising global temperatures when the relationship is inverse and that's crazy that is nuts and i actually went to uh so, so what was going on with with owls um what do we think was going on with owls um diagram uh, graph then i mean was it dishonest was it has it been doctored or 
Because there are obviously two oh, different graph? graphs going on. Oh, yeah. Well, or is he just, or no, is he just... no, no. His graph, his graph is just sort of, uh, it's vague enough that you don't notice that the CO2 is coming after the temperature. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure he lines it up. So mm. it's not necessarily, it's not strictly chronological. Um, he does not even mention this relationship and it's, it's, it's very important. Um, so I, I went to some mainstream, uh, you know, science sites to try and see what they had to say about this. And basically their take was like, yeah, yeah, that's true. But CO2 contributes <laughs> to global warming. It's like, okay, well, sure. But if we're looking at, if we're, if we're basing, our buy a Prius plans, like our next car purchase on um, this correlation between drastic temperature changes and drastic CO2 changes. And that doesn't even exist in history. Like it literally doesn't exist in history. Well, it's, um, it's like it's like we said, you know, when things get a bit tricky, they just move the move the goalposts, don't they? Exactly. They they just sort of change the they just change the argument. Like when they're caught in a lie or misdirection or or just a mistake. Um, but you can they, see it they over just the whole find over the whole. To, you can see it over the whole movement, the problems, can't you? It's gone from from ice age to global warming to climate change, doesn't it? To climate catastrophe. That's what yeah. some uh, some people are now calling it instead of climate change is a climate catastrophe. Oh. Yeah, yeah, this is real. Um, that is not as popular because it's a little bit obvious what they're trying to do there. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's uh, it's like every mistake they make is just something that can be smoothed over. Yeah, but, just style it out. <laughs> right. Every mistake they're opposite opposition makes or you know every disagreement their opposition has well they're crazy or evil or racist or something yeah. of uh well, I, just, just 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 pick it they're nazis that sums it up perfectly they're just yeah nazis and we watched a few other uh a few other movies that we're not really going to to talk too much about this episode's been going on <laughs> pretty long and my throat hurts because i'm sick um <laughs> But we, you know, we also watched the day after tomorrow, which is sort of the epitome of uh, of this climate alarmism, where which I'll get climate... mixed up with twenty twelve. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I mean, twenty twelve is another apocalypse thing that never happened. Um, Aren't they both Roland Emmerich kind of funny... films? I'm not sure. Roland Emmerich, yeah, uh, it's funny because twenty twelve, there's a flood that destroys the world, but in tomorrow, without climate change, it, everything fizzes. So it's a little bit to there which i think is interesting um but the climate is literally like a slasher film that's coming after people like they're literally running down a hallway to escape climate change uh, <laughs> like that happens in the movie it's crazy uh, very very cool movie actually it's very comfy it's very stupid um but it's very comfy. i think i've seen it isn't isn't doesn't um because i because i watched the wrong film but doesn't the Statue of Liberty end up buried under snow or something? It was just like the arms sticking um, out. It, basically, all of North America turns into an ice cube. Yeah. It's really Do we have silly. Reasons or it's really it silly. Um, well, at, at the time that movie was made, um, the the kind of the narrative was that global warming would lead to global cooling. And this is sort of, exp I think this is explained in An Inconvenient Truth, um, where changes in global temperature would actually change ocean currents and that would that's sort of like the um, heat he dissipation the, system he talked about that prehistoric event didn't he where where the uh the pump shut off do you remember that bit 
Easton exactly. Butler, so when you, the current right when that heat uh, dissipation system shuts down, then you have every, then everything freezes. Yeah. So you know that that was the thinking at the time that the day after tomorrow was made. No one really talks about that anymore. I don't know if that's still settled science, but uh, yeah. Well, it's, I, uh, I, I think I think it needs freezes. to be multiple. You need, but I think in the case of climate change, you need multiple choice uh, science, don't you? Just you got to keep shifting as the facts as the facts change. Yeah, you gotta keep moving those goalposts. But it's uh, it's it's interesting that they sort of look at like, okay, so the area around New York was under a glacier at one point. So let's see what that glacier was, and just say here it is. It's gonna be that again. Uh, absolutely no science to support that. And it's a Roland Emmerich film. Who cares? You don't have to really think about that whole uh, the whole climate change boondoggle to enjoy mm. it. Um. We also watched uh, The Age of Stupid. Um, yeah, it was you saw like this for the first film. time. It's really patronizing, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? <laughs> T- tell us why you thought it was like that. Uh, it's just like, oh, look, kid, this is what happens. <laughs> it's like that. Pete Postlethwaite is normally a good actor, but I don't think his heart was in this one. Yeah, there was a uh, a pretty pretty decent actor making a cameo. So this this uh, movie was a documentary like An Inconvenient Truth, except it had a sci-fi framing device saying that it took place in 2050. Uh, 2055. 2055, and the world is destroyed. But the I thought everyone was going to be beautiful destroyed. in 2050. <laughs> the world is utterly <laughs> destroyed. Like half of it's under glaciers, the other half is flooded. Everyone's living in like a, a steampunk, like post apocalyptic wasteland. And, Did you notice his, um, mu- his museum thing was in was it in the in the Arctic or the Antarctic? I can't remember what it was. Oh no, I I, I wait really? No, no, it was the Arctic. It was the Arctic because it, it was the Arctic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, just north. Of, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, because I believe Norway does have um, an archive. And so our main character here, uh, really our only character, uh, he's living inside of like the global archive, which of course is powered by wind turbines and solar power. um, And it has like every great work of art. It has two of every animal. Uh, It's, uh, you know, the animals are pickled in case you get hungry. Um, And he's he's living there. And he also has... uh, you know thousands of servers i don't know who's maintaining those servers that must be a bitch um i think he's living there alone that's weird but he has all these servers yeah i was thinking what happens when he dies (laughs) yeah uh it it, it has he's like a lighthouse like you know i don't know i think that's i think that's the vibe they're going for aren't they right Uh, the thing he's living in is kind of like a lighthouse it's in the middle of the ocean it's sticking out like a spire sort of and um and so he has access to all like news footage, basically all media ever created. And so he's playing back essentially the documentary portions of the uh, of the film. And I thought that despite the framing device, this was this was interesting because it was a different take on basically the an inconvenient truths vibe. Uh, actually, it's more akin to an inconvenient sequel because they take you to I think France. Uh, they're there's speaking France, French, so I guess India, because there's the the airplane guy, isn't there? The bloke setting up his own. Right. Uh, I didn't quite get the point of that because they didn't really. There was no real. There, there was a real conclusion to that, was there? Well, the subtext of that part is that so this so this Indian guy he's starting up like a super low budget airplane company where you can potentially have like one rupee fares, and I think one rupee is like a hundredth of it's like a cent or something. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, it's essentially lamenting how airplanes are spewing, like they're using tons and tons and tons of gasoline every day. I think like more than all the cars in the world combined uh, every day. Um, so, you know, they're afraid in, in, I think the creators of the documentary, they're afraid that uh, a billion Indians are going to start riding planes all the time and everywhere. So now they're going to be contributing to, to climate change. <laughs> so you you know india it keeps coming back as a problem uh whether we're watching a movie uh from the modern day or this slightly older i think this is like 2008 or something um age of stupid the reason it's called the age of stupid is because uh one of the people they interview uh who's trying to combat climate change um he's sort of like a salt of the earth type i can't remember where he's from but he's more of like a uh uh appalachian type and he's saying like when we look back on today like the people people of the future are gonna look back on us and call this the age of stupid i really <laughs> doubt that dude i really friggin doubt that <laughs> i don't know we are the age of stupid but for different reasons is my opinion oh yeah absolutely i mean the the, the people of uh you know if things continue as they do the people of the future won't even be able to comprehend what's going on today um or they'll just form their own kooky narratives around it that don't even reflect reality um did you talk uh, about the african section no because they they, they spoke to the african as well why don't you tell us about that um uh, what was it she wanted to be a doctor or something and she was uh uh, talking about shell it seemed to be quite anti-shell i don't know whether the director or the writer was like an ex-shell employee or something Right, so Shell is uh, kind of exploiting the uh, the Africans and and screwing up their environment, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they <laughs> they promised they promised to make a school, but they pulled out because because uh, there's a fear of kidnappings. But but of course that's Shell's fault, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's really really funny. I mean, I watched this movie when it was new. I actually liked it because it had the sci-fi framing device, which was yeah. uh, kind of different for a documentary. Um, and I absolutely yeah. believed this vision of the future. Um, now it seems like 2055 being an apocalyptic wasteland is like, get the hell out of here. Um, but yeah, yeah. at the time, you know, I bought into it. Um, but, um, well, I'm st- I'm st- yeah, you know, I'm still, waiting for one- my, I'm still waiting for my 1992 escape from New York future. <laughs> oh, implying that we be- will be putting anyone in prison <laughs> in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Shell was putting a lot of oil into uh, into the local water supply because everything was really sloppy. But then again, after seeing Empire of Dust, I honestly really wonder how much of this is Shell's fault. Uh, well, it's like it, the, the big alarm for me like was like a, like I say when she said like they won't build it because because of fear of kidnappings, and, and I was thinking that's that's Shell's fault. How? Right. And and even the environmental stuff, like the, the, the local mishaps, has nothing to do with global warming. What they're trying to do is just make you hate an oil company. That's well, all I that thought, I thought this about. One, I, thought, I thought this one more than the, Al, than the Al Gore documentaries. This These were all macro problems, weren't they? They're, these were all problems that they need to sort out themselves. Um, because it was the, was it, is it uh, Syria? Where where you the mean land was micro having... problems, right? Sorry, micro. Yes, micro problems rather than macro problems. Because right. even when they're in Syria, rather than like digging out some irrigation channels and and getting water back onto land, they just like piss off somewhere else, don't they? Yeah, it it makes an extremely extremely poor case for itself. Actually, I still have uh, the movie um, from when I first watched it, but I I don't think I've watched it ever since. And and it's very very opening to see how full of crap these 
you are. Um, <laughs> there was a part that took place in England, right? What else was it? Oh yeah, it was the um, the uh, wind farms, wasn't it? The the bird the bird chumpers, as I've heard them called. Uh, do you, do you, are you aware of this phenomenon? That oh yeah, yeah, the wind turbines uh, are apparently yeah. like birds fly into them. Yeah, birds, bats, you know, anything. It's just apparently there's just like a pile of carcasses at the bottom of any one of these things. Right. I mean, as though cats don't do enough damage to the uh, indigenous bird populations. We need these, things. but um, I, and, I and isn't, these isn't are. There... Isn't their um their their addition to the power grid kind of not is isn't it supposed to be a little bit oversold anyway, isn't it? Uh, certainly less substantial than solar, but I would yeah. imagine in England solar is kind of a non-starter. Yeah, yeah, we we have that Seattle climate. <laughs> right. Um. But these uh, suburban and rural retards don't want a giant, like, massive, monolithic wind turbine hanging over their entire town. Um, they yeah, don't want it's... this non-human scale device hanging over yeah, and you, their and you, heads. And you've, and you've got the guy who sells them wondering why these plebs don't want it. Exactly. And the documentary is trying to paint them up as regressive idiots. Yeah. Uh, when it's like, how about if, if, if you're so smart, why don't you figure out a better way to do it that doesn't make these people miserable? Yeah. And doesn't eat, doesn't destroy wildlife in the process. That'd also be nice. That'd also be nice. Although I would say just get rid of the cats, get rid of the damn cats, and uh, it won't matter how many wind turbines uh, kill birds. Yeah, yeah. Cats like cats destroy like billions of of birds uh, in Europe. It's insane. Cats are not indigenous to Europe, and they they absolutely ruin the environment. Well, not only that, they only do it for fun. They don't even eat the birds, do they? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a huge huge problem. Um, so we've we've explored a lot here. We've explored a lot here. I think our main takeaways are that the world is not going to end. Uh, figure out how to live. Figure out how to live with everything kind of just hanging together. And as things become more entropic, which they will, and this is going to be a social entropy, not necessarily a climate entropy, the changes in the climate are going to take place over extremely, extremely long lengths of time. There's not going to be a downfall. There's not going to be an apocalyptic event. Uh, well, one one last thing I'd like to say, right, rather than us telling people what to think, you should watch you should you should watch both Al Gore's documentary and Climate Hustle at the same time and make your mind up yourself. Well, not simultaneously. That might be a little bit chaotic. Yeah, yeah. It, it nearly <laughs> destroyed me today. <laughs> Um, I actually uh, took the patrician's path. I played these movies at 2x in a semi-transparent pot player window while uh, playing SimCity and taking down notes. Oh, nice. So th that was a lot of fun. I, I would say that uh, for watching the old movies had the most value for me, uh, An Inconvenient mm. Truth and Age of Stupid, because you can really look back. Like foresight, uh, sorry, hindsight is twenty twenty, And by looking back at their consistent failures to predict reality and our consistent ability to predict reality, uh, this, this can give you a lot of conviction in real answers and real science. So with that, I uh, want to thank you, Gray, for uh, for chatting with me today. Man, it's been a journey. It's been a journey, my friend. Thank you, Nat. This one was grueling, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, everyone should be watching 
uh, or listening to your uh, your streaming YouTube show just don't like them. Yeah, we're on Mondays and Thursdays on the Vanguard Streaming Network. Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, that'll be in the show notes, everyone. Check it out. And join us next week where we'll share more memories of things that never happened. Until then, stay dope. People running by me on the city line.